You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody. Holy cow. There's no way we're going to cover this all. <laughs> Too much to cover. There's Just a lot to cover. Because listen, man, if you think about how we got to cover, like, how there's bass, how there's a professional bass fisherman from Australia. Yep. That, like, that's like two hours. <laughs> yeah. Since they don't even have bass in Australia. And he's here. He's the first Australian to ever come in here. How do you pronounce your last name? Jalkumson. She yeah. still can't do it. That's kind of how I would guess, <laughs> yeah. looking at it. Jockamson. Yeah. Not many people get it right. It's like Jockamson or... And or you're the first, like, big-time winning Australia bass? In the US, yeah. So you're the first... Give me the, give me the superlative. The first what? Um, I'll be the first Australian to ever make it to the top 100 guys in the world in, in America. If who first uh, and, and only, you know, like in baseball, right? Yeah, you're like probably American. If you're not American, I think you're Dominican in, yeah. in professional baseball. Isn't that like a big that that country has a huge yeah. footprint yeah, in I American so. baseball in uh, Puerto Rico? So lay it out for me in in bass. It's like Americans, yeah. Japanese would be second. No, Japanese yeah. would be the Dominican. Yeah, I think I knew that because the hooks and Every, then, well, just everything attention yeah. to detail. Yeah. And they have the same, like similar circuits, same bass. They have like, they have the setup and it's as big in the tackle industry and the fishing as well. Yeah, I'm just thinking all the hook manufacturers that are Japanese. Yeah. Names, yeah. So there they, are largemouth bass over on that island. In Japan? Yeah, in it's Japan. awesome. I went to Lake Biwa in 2018. Actually, the world record is from Georgia and Lake Biwa in Japan. It's tied. 
Dude, that's going to be a sad day for America. When yeah. we get beat by the Japanese <laughs> on our own fish. Well, they do that and that that right now there's a bunch of from Japan that are that are they just they kill it over here. They're coming over and they they beat really? everyone. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. It's big. But for me it was because it, the reason it was different is because we don't have large mouth or small mouth or anything like that in Australia. So I chased up like a whole different species of fish Hold my it. whole life. So yeah. you don't have large mouth bass. Mm, no. No. It'd be like if someone... What the hell are you fishing for over there? <laughs> It'd be like if someone <laughs> trout fished Montana their entire life and then they're like, oh, I'm going to go start tournament fishing and then made it to the top level in like four or five years. In another country. I mean, think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I just assumed you guys had dumped a bunch of large mouth bass in your lake. No, nah, they're so pretty strict. Fishing for? Um, we had what, what the reason I made it is because we have like a more diverse fishery. We don't really have a fish that's like Australia wide, like in these little regions. We have a fish that's called an Australian bass, and it's probably the closest thing to like a hybrid striper kind of cross. But then we have like Murray cod, which are in a certain region where I live. We have barramundi, which live in the northern regions. And I kind of got good at like catching all of them. And then if you rolled all of them you into were a, good a bowl, a generalist general, angler. yeah, I just fished everywhere. Like Australians, because we don't have that one fish, like a largemouth that is countrywide, we would have boats or fish out of kayaks or whatever for this species. And then we would drive a few hours or 10 hours fish with a barramundi up north. And but so, you realize that's like normal fishing here. Yeah, ca- kind of. But then if like, you, you guys yeah. are the exception, like most people that yeah. fish, fish all kinds of shit. Yeah. And we, the thing that we get mistaken for as tournament anglers, you you, and like you said, you spoke to a guy that ju- had just fished for bass or whatever. But generally, we most bass professional anglers, that's how we all started. Like, if you talk to most of them, they fish for a little bit of everything and just oh, got a passion up, for it. And then, but there's something about a largemouth bass, and that's what it did to me. Like, if you rolled all the species in Australia that I competed with into a ball, it would make a largemouth bass. Uh-huh. And so when I came, well, so was like, it the, the how their how their fillets kind of smell like seaweed? No, that, yeah, it had and nothing you, to that, do with that taste. You? It's like their attitude and the way they fish. Like when I first got the opportunity to come to America and I and I fish for them, my I just got lit up. I was like, this really? is the coolest fish I've ever seen in my life because it adapts so well. It does everything. If there's a piece of water, it lives in there. It adapts to that bait that the way the setup is, whatever it is, it's just going to live, survive, and be the perfect predator in yeah, that yeah. environment. And there's not a ton of fish that do that. They need all the perfect things to be able to survive. A large mass is like, put me here and I'll adapt and do whatever's going on. All day cool. thinking about talking to you, I was thinking that they must have like some, you must have grown up by some big ass reservoir full yeah. of largemouth bass in Australia. <laughs> I'd never caught one until 2010. And then in 2014, I made it to the top 100 guys in the world in the US. <laughs> so, okay. What was, we, got, we got a lot of... Uh, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. What was that, that opportunity that got you to the States I, the first yeah. time? So, um, in, two th- in the year 2000, a guy in Australia started uh, tournaments up similar to America. And so, I was like 14 years old and I went to it because I was getting into bass fishing and my local lakes where I'd ride my bike to there to catch them was bass. So I was kind of, that was my sort of species. And then they had this tournament. So I went and watched it at like 14 years old and they imported American bass boats. They had like these bass boats and I was like, wow. And they came in and weighed them in and I'm like, this is cool. And so I started fishing as a co-angler 
and just kind of got addicted to it. I, my mum drove me three hours to a lake. I fished it. I came fourth and won $500 and like they gave me the check and I was kind of like, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. (laughs) This is it. And that's what I kind of did. And then, um, those tournaments turned into pretty big tournaments where the, like we have the Bassmaster Classic that's in America, that's, you know, worth half a million dollars and, and all of that. We had a grand final and the prize was expenses paid trip to the US to see if they could get someone from Australia to compete in the US. But you'd never caught a bass. No, I never caught a US. So it was kind of weird. Well, what it was, is like we're watching ESPN and Fox Sports, watching Bassmaster, learning the techniques, yep. reading the magazines and applying them in Australia. Ah, yeah, so yeah. I'm just- So there was like an exchange. Yeah, there was like an idea, just, exchange of ideas going yeah, on. Yeah, you're just yeah. like America was always ahead of the game in everything. So you're just- trying to get fed the information. And so you're watching then guys win a hundred grand, making a living, the trucks, the boats, then you're seeing the weigh-ins with how many, 50,000 people in a stadium screaming and the guys driving in with bass boats. So you're like, <laughs> as a kid and growing up, you're like, wow, this is like, this is where I want to be. And so. Yeah, it's like being a rock star yeah, when you're that's, catching and, fish. Exactly. And what it is, is like in Australia, you can be the best golfer, the best motocross rider, the best anything, and you, you'll you have to work full time in your tackle store or your golf shop unless you move to America. Yeah, you'll and still if you be sucking high until yeah. you do America. Uh-huh. And then if you come to America, you can be a superstar and mm. make a living out of it. So. I basically fished and competed from when I was 16 years old to when I was 25. And then in, tw- in when I was 25, I won that grand final and that got me the expenses paid trip to the US. They, I'd never been out of Australia before in my life. I'd never been on an aeroplane. We, <laughs> we flew, flew into the US. Seriously. And, you know, in Australia, fishing and hunting and all of that my whole life, it was kind of like, it's a very niche looked down on kind of thing. You never just spoke openly about being a angler or a hunter because it was very, it's very, I don't know how to put it, but you had to be careful about who you said it to because they might be like, look down on you or say something about it. And when I came to America, I was like, hunters and fishermen and bass just seeing the stores i was like this is where i'm supposed to live like this is where i'm supposed to be so when you we'll, we'll come back around so i got one more question for now and then we're gonna take care of some things but when you finally caught your first largemouth bass after yeah. watching people your whole life and reading about were you like oh so that's one of those yeah like well, what that feel like to yeah, finally catch one yeah it was it was it was incredible like we went to lake fork in texas and they they took us out there and we started catching them on techniques that we used in australia and just grabbing one and looking at it and the way in this at the same lake we caught them up shallow in two feet and then the next day we caught them in 30 feet on different techniques and we fished i went and fished lake mead and so it was just like it was 30 you could see the bottom in 30 feet of water and I did really well in that tournament, which is what gave me opportunity to basically, I, I came second as a co-angler, I won some money. I met Fred Rombanis, who was an elite series angler. I got to talk to him. I saw the anglers. And at, at that time I said, okay, I'm going to go home and like sell everything I own and, and try and actually make this. And Come back and tear I was these in, bass Yeah, I was sa- yeah. insane for thinking that at the time when I look back, I'm like, what were you thinking? This is, that's ridiculous because our country. Our fishing is so small and our lakes, you can, I got to learn them really well. And they're all a little bit similar where here I went from Lake Mead to the Red River or like something in Oklahoma or Lake Fork. And it was just 
the, every lake was so different, but that's kind of why I loved it so yeah, much. It was just so you. much different stuff to fish. Also joined by, are you not, are you ready to the, the writer Chuck Palunic? I think it's like, if you do the, you know, one of those ancestry deals, it's like a fifth cousin or something weird huh. like that. That's cool. Yeah. Brandon Palunic. 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 That's, is that how Chuck Palunic? I thought Chuck yeah. Palunic is Palunic. Pal- oh, I was going by that. You're from an unusual bass fishing place. Yeah. I'm from Trout, Lane, Idaho. Trout country. Because that, that, that used to be like the Southeast, right? It was like the Southeast U.S. dominated bass. Yeah. Well, and they still do demographically because that's where most of the competitive side of it is. It's where that's their primary species, right? Because they don't have trout. They don't have salmon, things like that. What was the first fish you ever caught? So, whew, trout. Probably mountain lakes. I used to hike into mountain lakes when I was like two years old with my mom. She'd take me. When uh, when did you catch? Because when did you catch your first largemouth bass? Then before becoming pro. So I caught my f- first one. I would have been like five or six. Oh, so you guys started young. But that was like that wasn't. I didn't know anything about tournament fishing. Like I was just fishing to get a bite, right? For whatever bit. Yeah. That's all I cared about. Then I was introduced to it at eight years old. A family friend had a bass boat and fished local tournaments and regional stuff. Gotcha. And then he took me out because my mom knew that I loved fishing. I didn't know that you could actually target a specific species at that time. And he took me out. And from that day forward, it was like, that's what every single decision in my life is geared towards is that. So at eight, you thought you wanted to be a professional bass fisherman? Yeah, try telling that to your teachers. <laughs> in like, North Idaho. Yeah, I'd be like, no, in, in listen, North. man. Yeah. Here's why I don't need to know any of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check this out. But, but now I look back and I'm like, man, I really wish I would have paid a little bit more attention in that class. But it, I mean, that was the thing is like it, it wasn't a thing like, you know, really anywhere in the Northwest to fish. And it's been cool to see it grow, like the tournament scene grow bigger and bigger around North Idaho and Washington and Oregon and stuff to be able to see that. But I mean, it, like, that's all I wanted to do. And so I just, every time, like I came to a crossroads, it was like, Hey, you know, I'd have like a long time girlfriend. She'd be like, ah, you know, you're fishing too much. And be like, all right, see ya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause she didn't know, man. Like, yeah. It's all part of the plan. I, it, yeah. That was the only plan. Like, and like I grew up wrestling all the way into college and like, I knew way early on that I was not going to wrestle. Like I was going to fish. And like, as I got older, I would wrestle less and less. Like I started out wrestling probably 10 months out of the year. And then I would just show up to less and less tournaments and I'd show up to more and more bass tournaments. Quit going to high school. So you got like a general competitive streak. Yeah. And I think that's what, that was part of the reason that like of what fueled me towards bass fishing is because there was a competitive nature there. There's winners and losers, man. Yeah. How I old were you? I wish Uncle Chasty was here. Uh, uh, what happened to Chester now? We lost, we lost the him? internet connection. So we just lost. Yeah. Chester's dead now. <laughs> he's just, he's, he's dead. He's in the deer stand already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, reason I bring it up is Chester um, was a wrestler. Uh-huh. So you share that in common. Yeah. And Chester and Seth are aspiring competitive walleye anglers i love walleye fishing they're gonna go we're hitting the they're the, going pro this year we're hitting the trail the montana trail you can do it <laughs> yeah oh Hold yeah on. you can just decide to go pro there's no like no, it's process not, we're not going pro, pro. <laughs> no but, but there's gonna go but this company you know like usually bass fishermen are like with tide or whoever like or like pens oil or something 
Who, who, who sponsors you? What's on you're, your guys' you're shirts? You're thinking of NASCAR. Yeah, what's on your yeah, guys' shirts? Yeah. I'm still looking for a title deal. I'm just my own sponsor right now. You don't now, have a title sponsor? No, no title sponsor, but like Skeeter, Yamaha. I mean, I got a, and then like a bunch of industry sponsors. Okay. Stuff like that. We're sponsoring Seth and Chester. Yep. Solid. Our company sponsoring Seth and Chester. They're Our doing first the sponsor. four. They're, how, describe how it is. Um, so, yeah, it's four derbies across Montana. There's yeah. Tiber, Fresno, Fort Peck, and Canyon Ferry. And Solid. Uh, yeah, we're just going to hit them all and try and win some money. I love trophy walleye fishing. You'd, I, I have you'd no, like Fort Peck. Yeah, I have no desire to go like troll a worm harness or anything. Oh, I, don't, I despise trolling. But to go throw like seven, eight, nine inch swim baits for walleye? Yeah. That's my style. Yeah. It's fun. He, you're more of a vertical jigging man though. Blade baits. Yeah, I I I mean, there's so many different things you can catch walleye on, but I unless there's certain bites where you kind of have to troll if you want to catch them. Yeah, if you um, want to be a winner. Yeah, especially <laughs> especially when you're fishing competitively. Like, there's just some bites where they're you got to troll for them. Yeah. Um, but preferably, I like catching them up shallow with uh, jigs. Corinne came Jig up with a. Plastic. You guys know BFF, right? Best friends forever. Yep. Corinne came up with B triple F, BFFF, which is best fishing friends forever. I like it. That's you I and like Chester. It. And you guys are BFF, <laughs> but you guys are B triple F. might be a team yeah, name. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> B triple F. Chester, you ever seen the video, uh, Tom Petty, uh, Don't Come Around Here No More? And it's kind of like about Alice in Wonderland. And, and there's that part where Tom Petty and, and Alice in Wonderland are at the really long table, and Tom Petty looks real small way down there. That's what you look like right now. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that one. Oh, no. you should watch. It's a great video. Okay, I'll check Chester, it Chester, can you tell, can you break down? Uh, everyone knows that Chester grew up um, in the pickled mushroom business. Chester's very first nickname, if we march backward, where Chester the Divester, Uncle Chesty, I'm, I'm going in order. Mm-hmm. Chester the Divester, Uncle Chesty, Chester the Investor, Chester the Molester. <laughs> oh, sorry. All set. Well, that that one has all an set. Aired it goes like in. in oh, but it, but it will have aired by the all time. All set. Chat. No. Okay. <laughs> and and to go back in time from <laughs> present to past. All set. Chat. Chester the divester. Uncle Chesty. Uncle Chester the investor. Chester the molester. Chester the tester. If we go back to when he was Chester the tester, he was testing his family's pickled. Mushroom recipes. That's right. <laughs> at his family's business. And now two great companies have come together. Yes, Meat Eater and Forest Floor Foods. Pitch it, I'm actually Chester. sitting I'm sitting at the uh Forest Floor Foods World Headquarters. Wow. Right now. He's deer hunting Drink- at the world headquarters of Forest Floor Foods right now. Yeah. Drinking an old fashioned. You guys think you're cool but, uh, for being a professional bass fisherman. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, deer at the Forest Floor Foods World Headquarters. Second Anyways, rate. <laughs> I'll quick explain the Wisconsin Old Fashioned, which is on the website. There's like a traditional Old Fashioned, which is like a sugar cube, an orange sl- like peel muddled, like mashed up, and a cherry with some bitters and then usually whiskey. That's, that's for sissies. Like, that's for, that's, that's a sissy old fashioned. That's like your traditional old fashioned, but in Wisconsin here, you can order them multiple different ways. It's like a a uh, 
brandy, old fashioned sweet, or a whiskey, old fashioned sour, whiskey, old fashioned sweet. And what that means is obviously brandy or whiskey, and then a sweet or sour soda mixed with like your old fashioned mix. This one here is how I like to do it, and it's uh, whiskey with sweet soda, which is like a Sprite, and then bitters, and then your, you know, old-fashioned mix. So, yeah, Chester, you left out the, the interesting part. The, the pickled... Fill, full of all kinds of pickled stuff. Yeah. But that was just like the... How to make the drink. Oh, okay. We'll <laughs> talk about the box with all the... The, the, the garnishes. <laughs> Chester, come on. Okay. Go well, into sales got, mode, dude. We, You're supposed to be out here selling something. Yeah, I want to know which one I can make with the box. Yeah, talk about the box. You can you can make all of them with the box. Oh. Um, the, there's even maple syrup in the box. Um, a substitute for like a sugar cube, you can use that Wisconsin maple syrup, which my uh, family also has a little sugar bush, so they tap the trees and uh, make their own maple syrup. Come coming with the boxes, your old fashioned mix, some queen olives, some pickled mushrooms, some sweet um, pickled little pearl onions, and um, some cherries. So after you make your old fashioned, you throw throw those goodies in there, and it's one heck of a drink. Yeah, available at themeateater.com. And I pressed Chester on this multiple times, and I think he's telling the truth. He's not double dipping. Chester says he's not double dipping. Getting a commission from the folks. And he's then... on, yeah, he's on salary with us. Yep. And he says he's not, he didn't go pull commission to have orchestrated this deal. Nope. I don't know if that's true or not. Doing audit. <clears throat> There's probably a college account, though, set up for his kids that he doesn't have yet. There's got to be <laughs> well, some sort of ownership. You, you, you think he's I mean, double dipping? He's playing the long think, game. I don't think he's double dipping. <laughs> you get, I mean, they're your parents. You got to help them out. Do you ship to Australia? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we do, man. Not meat eater, but um, I bet you, I don't know. Don't quote me Double on that, check. I bet you we can figure it out. <laughs> All right. Good job, Chester. Thank you. Oh, you, you've heard about not uh, having a couple cocktails and climbing up into a tree stand, right? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. <laughs> Okay, uh, starting December 6th, which we all know is the day before Pearl Harbor. Uh, so starting December 6th, running through December 13th. Am I getting this right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're running a holiday gift program where we're giving back to select conservation organizations that each member of our crew here has selected. So uh, me, Yanni, Clay, Cal, others pick out items in the meat eater store that uh, we'd be most excited to give as gifts. In addition, each of us has selected a conservation organization we're personally passionate about. So in my case, I chose TRCP, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, where um, I'm, a, I'm a board member and great supporter. Um, and, and that's my pick. So here's where you come in. You go to the meat eater store, right? You check out my gift picks. You know, I might make one of my gift picks the damn uh, Chester box. Do it. Good. Yeah, we're going to do that. If the official name isn't the Chester box, <laughs> it should be. <laughs> it's Chester in a box. I'm going to pick the Chester box. Okay, so here, here's how this works. 
When you shop, when you go to that page and use the code Steve at checkout, you get free shipping on your order. Any order over 50 bucks. And 10% of your purchase goes to my selected conservation organization. Does this all make sense? Yeah. So Hayden? if they choose one of my items, do they put the code Giannis? And then they and then it goes to my conservation. I got a strong feeling that's how it'll go. All right. Who are you gonna pick for your group? Wild sheep. So you I'm still riding the wild. You're like a big sheep man now. I'm, I'm riding the wild sheep high, yeah. I got a question. What if I want both of your picks? What if I want to? I would order? do two orders. Split, Just do split the buy order. half your stuff, log out, log back in, buy their half your stuff. So both conservation get the benefits. That's great. Yeah. What if what if uh that brings your purchase less than fifty dollars? Mm. Hmm. And will you recognize it and ship it in the same box? That there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the deal. Go on. So you go on. Check out our our gift list. So like, I'll have my ten favorite things that I'd like to give as gifts or get or my f- ten favorite things. When you buy those, um, if you go over fifty bucks on your order, it ships to you for free, and ten percent of the purchase price goes to TRCP or in Yanni's case, Wild Sheep Foundation. It's a big win-win. Um, it's around for a week. So head over to, get this, www.themeater.com slash give. Check that out. Um, okay. Hayden's going to do a book report. Hayden. Oh, you haven't said diddly yet. Not yet. You're, you, I'm not just, I want you to start preparing mentally for the book report. All right. Um, and we're going to back up. We got to talk about a couple quick things. Uh, I was going to talk about my fun little deer hunting trip yesterday, which if I go hunting two, one of two things is happening. I'm yelling at my kids the whole time. So I brought them <laughs> or we're like filming. So I'll see that I yell at my kids or yell at the cameraman. But I just went hunting yesterday with my neighbor. Patrick? Oh, did we have a good time <laughs> with that? Yeah. We had the greatest time a person could possibly have. Because we went to a place that we knew was stupid, but I just had to scratch an itch and it wound up being a sweet spot. Mm. I was like, listen, man, we're just kind of looking. Set the expectations. We're taking a hike. We're taking a hike. I just got to scratch an itch and get up in there. And now it's my new favorite place. We had a good time. And we got a little buck. I said, what are your standards? He said, not a forky. And the second buck we Perfect. found fit the bill. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it fit the bill. Uh, no, we had such, it was so much fun, man. Uh, Yanni, can you explain how you won all that money off the Latvians? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was uh, <clears throat> deer hunting this weekend in Wisconsin, not far from where Chester is now. I went for the open. Right now? Yeah. He's, the, I didn't know that that's the same neck of the woods there. Well, I mean, you know, what is it? Same two, state. Two hours? Uh, yeah, probably around two hours. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know if it was like, if you meant like right there, right there. No, oh, okay. no, no, not I the same you. county. I got you. Anywho, um, I got in late Friday. Opener was Saturday, and uh, we were getting ready to chip in for the uh, buck pool. How many Latvians were there? Mm, they were all Latvians, and I think we had a total of 10 hmm. people, 10 hunters. How many Giannis's? Three. <laughs> <laughs> so it was light. It was actually light on Giannis's. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what the ratio normally is. The percentage. I think it's six out of ten Latvians are Giannis, so it's a little light. But. Males. 
It was it was all all males. Uh, anywho, uh, so we're chipping in, and um, it had been ten dollars all these years. I've been hunting there since ninety, I believe, it was my first year that I went. In the first two years, I think I just went and observed, and it was ten bucks and ninety. I believe so. So no inflation adjustments. And probably <laughs> back then, it probably stung. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much a nice. Well, oh, let me I'll keep, get to keep that talking. I want to look up. You're gonna figure ten, out ten, ten, ten bucks. Ten bucks definitely <laughs> went further yeah. back then. Yeah. Let me put my spectacles on. Keep um, going. I'm just. So I decided. I asked if anybody, everybody, wanted to make it a little more interesting and bump it up to twenty a piece this year. Everybody uh, obliged and dropped in twenty into the basket, and uh, so we went hunting, and I got lucky. I'm really a little side story. I'm really stoked about my hunt this weekend and my hunt two weeks ago there on the same property because I feel like I figured it out. Like I hunted there for 30 years or 28 years and really just, you know, kind of knew it, but didn't really know what the deer were doing there, had ideas. Yep. And go ahead, Steve. $10 in 1990. You need to adjust it to 2250. <laughs> you were close. Yeah. yeah. 2250. That's the, that's the bump. What if you want to keep ahead of the trend, go a little more. Yeah, and then we'll, maybe we'll round it up to 25, and then yeah. that'll roll for another 10. There you go. Okay, sorry. Um, but anyways, I had two really successful, uh, pretty quick hunts, really, because I was there two weeks ago for the rut with my bow, and I sat in the stand approximately seven hours and killed it. Same, an- like, basic spot, like, same property. Yeah, same yeah. property. Probably, I mean, as the crow flies from one stand to the other, Five or six hundred yards, um, but kind of down this complicated ridge system, you know. And uh, so I felt like I picked a good spot, killed a buck with my bow, and then when I came back, I thought, man, I could go and sit that same oak flat. I know it's going to be good. There's been pictures of bucks, you know, rolling through. But I'm like, you know what? Don't like rest on your laurels. Like, go and figure something else out. Go and learn something. Like, expand your horizons. And I had like Plan B and C already sort of set up that I eventually would check out. So I thought, this is it. So I went to B, got in there, and sure enough, opening morning, it's a pretty sweet little hunt. I get in there, plenty of time to, you know, I'm hunting out of the saddle, so it takes longer to get into the tree, right? It takes me an hour to get in. I get all set up. It's maybe half an hour before shooting light. I'm still messing around, just like fiddling with like the, the last little kind of fine tuning stuff, making sure I got my gloves and my hand warmers in the right yeah, spots yeah. and whatever. And I saw oh, how'd my, you get your cup of coffee up in that tree? Um, it's in a thermos, just in oh, my okay, backpack. Yeah. Um, I'm always posting pictures of my coffee because I put cream in my coffee. And by golly, I guess you're just a real little bitch. You put <laughs> cream in your coffee, according to Instagram. Dude, I'm, I'm creating yeah. up right now, man. Oh, no, buddy. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, that just draws in the big bucks. <laughs> Clay Newcomb says that if he had to choose between the coffee or the cream, he'd go with the cream. <laughs> he puts coffee into his cream, not vice versa. Interesting. Yeah. Is he a sugar guy too? No. Mm-hmm. We uh after that ever spend that week with Evan Hafer up in Alaska, I'm like almost weaned off of cream. Good. Because he cream shamed people. He did, but <laughs> I enjoyed drinking. Samantha black. noticed that. She's like, after he started shit talking cream people, cream com- cream consumption in our camp ended. <laughs> it like ended. My wife and I'd puts- like I'd like I I didn't know you were doing the same thing. I'd sneak <laughs> over and put a little cream in when no one was looking. <laughs> I, wa- <laughs> I, I wasn't sneaking. Like, oh, I just me I neither. just started uh he he says with good coffee you don't need cream. And so I was like, all right, well, let's give it a shot. 
Yeah. And yeah, my my wife puts, puts coffee in her life. cream as well. It's a real roadblock in our relationship. It's yeah. a problem. <laughs> it's good though. Go on, Yanni. So there you are. There I am drinking coffee, and uh, still have my headlamp on, and I hear coming around the corner. Still with your headlamp on. Yeah. So it was like six. I think it was roughly six fifteen, six ten maybe. You know, and so I click it off real quick. And all, I mean, it's like on top of me. So I get my little binoculars out and I'm pretty much trying to like look in the night, you know, for, for, a, for this deer. And sure enough, I find it and I can just in the darkness, see the white antlers. I'm like, holy shit, you know, nice buck. But I'm like, well, hell, this thing's not going to be here in 20 minutes, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's pretty much gone by. Like should just forget about it. But I watch him for a second as he walks by. So I continue on with my stuff now without my headlamp on and I'm messing around and five minutes goes by and just up the ridge, I hear, no, I'm like, huh? So I glass up there and I I find him again and he's only gone like 60, 70 yards. So I'm watching him a little bit and I can tell he's feeding, you know, they're, the acorns were thick. I talked to some of the neighbors that have actual food plots, like at the, like the bottoms of the ridges and they're like, the deer have not been in the corn, in the beans, nothing. They're on the ridgetops eating acorns. And it's been like that all summer. Uh, so that's what this deer is so doing. So he's up there grunting and eating. Well, so as I'm glassing. That might be a good name for the episode, grunting and eating. As I'm glassing <laughs> some more, I see there's another deer be- behind him. I can't tell what it is, but I'm guessing maybe doe. And he's tending her, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So now I'm like, what time was shooting light? You know, you somebody was talking about it last night, but I wasn't really paying attention. You didn't know it'd come down but to the wire. Exactly. Yeah. Now I'm in a position where it really matters when exactly <laughs> shooting light is. So I'm like trying to pull out my phone and Set shield your alarm. it. Yeah, shield it so that it's not casting a big light. And I go to like three different apps and I'm like, okay, one says 634, one says 633. I'm like, I'm going 633, you know? Because <laughs> this morning, I will be the first shot that rings out. I want to just quick point, just to be a, like a guy, the state lists their own. Yes. They don't go by all the different apps. No, I know. Yep. And I could have probably pulled up the regs on a PDF and then done the little chart thing where you add 12 yeah. minutes for I'm every I'm just helping X people miles. stay legal. Yeah. Appreciate it. And uh, so I decided I'm going with 633. <laughs> That seems like a good number. <laughs> so I'm watching it, and he's still there. He's still there. 6.33 comes. I'm like, okay, you know, next opportunity. Well, I start looking through the scope, and it's still just way too dark. Even though he's only at like 70, maybe 80 yards, there's some brush. Like, I hadn't really cut this place out really good. Yeah. And I can see a body and his antlers, but I'm like, I can't be sure. So I'm like, just be patient. Hopefully it'll happen. He's kind of looked like he's now going left, which he's going to move into a more open zone on this ridgetop. Well, as I'm watching him, I look over to my left again, Squirrel. same path he came. Nope. <laughs> Another buck. So I look, I look over at him and I'm watching him for a second. He's a little bit smaller, I think, than the one that went by me. I'm watching him. I was look back up to where the other buck was and I just see a tail going out down the ridge through the woods. White, you know, white tail, his, the rear end. I'm like, dang it. You know, what happened? I know my wind's solid, but maybe that buck spooked that buck or whatever. And, you know, stuff's happening fast now because it's, you know, I'm like, I'm ready to kill this buck if I get the opportunity. Well, I look back up again and now here's a doe coming back down the ridge towards me. And the little buck that's next to me now sort of goes to start trying to cut her off, right? And they're going to meet like just off the edge of the ridge. 
Well, that guy, the little buck makes it halfway to the doe. And all of a sudden I look up again and here comes the bigger buck, just ears pinned back, like not running, but marching. You know, they kind of pick up their front legs a little bit more and are really stomping it. Just what had run them off? I don't know. I don't know if it was a different doe. You know, it's just, it's hard Mm. to say. It was early light. But he came back like one. He that came buck back. Out he came there. back in, cut the little buck off. The little buck cowered immediately, kind of turned, and then the bigger buck put his antlers down and kind of ran him, and just happened to run him like literally under my tree stand. And so I, kind of you know, without shooting my toe off, <laughs> <laughs> I shot him. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was like you know the earliest by far I think I've ever shot an animal. I mean, it was. Did that little buck come t- back all triumphant? Oh, he was, I, I looked over my shoulder and he was just standing there watching his buddy go down the hill and crashing away and the, and the doe's behind him too. And he's just like, yeah. He's like, that's right. Mess with the bull, get the horns, man. <laughs> that's the fire. You get burnt. So, uh, yeah, my hunt ended pretty quick. I actually stayed in the tree for a while just to enjoy the morning uh-huh. and shot a doe like 20 minutes later. So you're like the, like of all the Latvians who hunt the Latvian place. You got to have more bucks. You got to have bigger bucks than any of those Latvians have ever gotten. Because that that place wasn't known as a big buck producer. No. I mean, I think I've said it before. I mean, there was maybe over the years, you know, a handful of, you know, 140s killed. Mm-hmm. But my two bucks this year aren't that big. I mean, there's yeah. been bigger bucks killed, but I had a good year. Anyways, that wins me the big buck pool. 200 bucks. Yeah, 200. Should have been four or something. For what? Why would it be if, you, if they had adjusted for inflation? Twenty or two hundred twenty-five bucks, right? Oh yeah, maybe I'll do my math. Yeah, wrong. it would only would have added twenty-five, twenty-two fifty. No, no, no. How much did you win? I won two hundred. Okay, so double two hundred. Oh, let's go through the exercise. No, no, we already did it. Remember? Uh, they put it used 20 to be ten dollars. We I adjusted for inflation by going twenty each. Oh, you did adjust. Yeah. So these guys were kind of pissed at me because they thought I had it rigged. Oh, no, that's right. I forgot about that part of the story. Yeah. Yanni, that's right. You pushed for a higher fee. Uh-huh. And then won, and it looked suspicious. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but. To, take to, all that out. Make, make it look like I was paying better attention. I always Phil. do. Fin- okay. Finish to, to wrap it all up. You, when you're the winner of the big buck pool, you don't really get all the money of the big buck pool because there's a tradition there where <laughs> – they like to Tradition. take a, a nice bottle, usually scotch, because the guys there that like to drink like to drink scotch. As they do. I personally might switch it up, but I, I didn't this year because I was given sort of like a pre, a congratulatory present for having a successful sheep hunt by another one of the hunters. Mm-hmm. And as sort of a, I don't know, like congratulations, he gave me a, a nice scotch bottle. And so I didn't have to go into town and come back, I just I just use that. Everybody signs it. You re-gifted the scotch bottle. <clears throat> I did. I ran it by everybody. I said, hey, the guy that gave it to me is not going to be pissed for doing this, right? Nobody seemed to give a shit. So, <laughs> But everybody signs it, and you, you, know, you can make a little note, you know, where you shot the big buck or whatever, uh-huh. and that way next year, oh, and the funny thing is, too, we're at like this Latvian church camp, right? And it's in the wall, this bottle, just lives in this wall behind like a 12 by 12 inch piece of plywood. And that piece of plywood has been there for since the building was built. I don't know what duct, because it's a circular hole, a square piece of wood over it. And those, those summer camp kids never find it and get drunk. I, not yet. Not yet. Or they just <laughs> respect it. Maybe it's been told to them mm. that it's hands off. So anyway, yeah. So I, I went in there this year and pulled out the bottle from last year. 
and then put in the new bottle. And uh, hopefully I'll be back next year. Yanni's petitioning to um, – traditionally it's been a man only. Was it like stated or that's just how it's been? Mm, you know, I, I dug into it a little bit. <laughs> so funny how people's you know, ideas and perceptions change because my dad specifically, I remember one year, you know, a, a, a woman had been invited and showed up and he was very uh, like – Kind of mad about it, right? Yeah. But it was most, there were some other things going on, but that was part of it. But now he's you know? got a granddaughter. Now he's got granddaughters, yeah. <laughs> but there's also, there's a, there's a deceased hunter that was there, and I guess he was really of the mind frame of like, this is a, a man's camp where men get to get away and do men type stuff, and it's just not, you know, like women can do their own personal little mm. whatever trips not they want. Not sitting do. around drinking rose. Whatever, whatever it is, yeah. yeah. But he's not around anymore, and hopefully he won't. You know, I don't think he'll turn over in his grave with my girls show up. But so they might. You might be. You might usher in. You might usher in some women into the camp. Yeah, but you know, I was thinking about. I it. hope those girls come and win all that money at eight and ten, man. You know, we were just talking about it with Brandon too. Like sitting around in a tree stand when you're not used to it. Like my girls are used to Western hunting. We just go on big long hikes until yeah. we see some game. Finding you know? stuff laying on the ground and yeah, you don't just go to one spot and then someone tells you now just enjoy the owls and the you know that fly around and the squirrels are going to be jumping. Yeah, around you just got to pick. You got to pick a spot where they can where you can slip out. Have them be like, listen, the first hour is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. At the end of the first hour, slip them out, let them go about their business, and then you come back up and do the keep hunting midday hunt, yeah, or it's a good idea. Do the two-hour evening hunt. Anybody's good for a couple hours. Yeah, it means I got some work to do though. I mean, that's a lot of double stands I need to set. Ground blind. When I uh, that, yeah, that too that'll work. When I was little, man, my dad would hang. I'm not kidding. He had. His tree stand, and at a time he had three other stands above his, and we'd go up and sit in those stands above Same his stand. Same tree. Yeah. <laughs> like freaking raccoons up in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but again, you know, no one wants, we like, I thought that just an evening hunt was like a decade. I felt like a decade being in that tree. Here's, here's like some uh, kind of distressing news, bad news. This is going to be like a bad news sandwich. It's like good stuff. And then, like, bad news, and then we'll have more good stuff. But So, uh, Washington State, this year, the spring bear season got canceled. One might be like, well, how the hell could that happen? It's like this. This is the way, this is, well, we're going to couple it with another thing. I will now lay out for you why the two-party system, as we know it in this country, inevitably... Uh, screws hunters and anglers. Give you for, let, let me lay a little groundwork first. Okay. You look so, okay. Under the Trump administration, he did all kinds of good stuff for access issues. He, he like overturned Alaska, you know, like the Obama administration had taken away Alaska's ability to use certain management tools, um, certain predator management tools, like the on refuges. So, under Obama, like like Alaska lost on 13% of their landscape. They had the feds come in and say, like, you can't do certain things that we think are naughty if it's on a on a refuge. And Trump went back and fixed that. So that was great. Trump did a bunch of great access stuff. Okay. 
He took um, you know, even stuff stuff like like fish hatcheries that had been closed to fishing or fish hatchery landscapes. They opened them up to hunting. They made uh, wildlife refuges kind of like simplify and expand hunting opportunities, and a lot of great stuff for like the protection of hunting culture. But he also did a lot of great stuff for industry, and at times industry is at odds with hunting and fishing habitat. So you look in like in in Tongass National Forest. I have a cabin up there, so I have a particular bias toward that area. Tongass National Forest, uh, coastal rainforest, old growth rainforest. There was a rule in place that was protecting like everything that doesn't have a road. There was a rule in place that protected the status quo, meaning they weren't going to build any more roads in Tongass. So not close old roads. If there's no road, we're not going to make a road. Trump opened it up that they like removed that protection and opened up the possibility of building more roads into old growth coastal rainforest. The reason you'd build more roads in the old growth coastal rainforest is to cut down the old growth coastal rainforest. Like the road building and the cutting go hand in hand. Um, so it was like, here's this guy that really protects hunters, protects access, protects hunters' rights, protects gun rights. But then, you know, kind of like, hits you where it counts a little bit on habitat issues. So that's, that's like kind of the give and take here. You have in Washington, uh, the governor appoints, uh, game commissioners. Okay. The state's supposed to have nine game commissioners and the way it works is it's kind of spread around. You get basically three from the West side of the state. Follow along, Corinne, for when I screw this up. Three from the west side of the state. So those are probably going to be, those are just probably going to be like liberal urbanites. They have to appoint three commissioners from the east side of the state, which are probably going to lean more conservative and be more pro-hunting. Okay? And then there's three sort of at-larges that you can get anywhere. And it's like the Supreme Court, there's nine in order to, to have tiebreaker. But the governor hasn't, promoted he hasn't appointed a new commissioner so they only have eight the commissioner he hasn't appointed is a commissioner from the east side of the state where people are going to be more kind of grow up around wildlife and understand hunting better and not view it like a thing that's only to be looked out a window at so the fish and game agency comes out with some studies about bears and they have a thriving, expanding, healthy population of bears. They're like, we can have a spring hunt, no problem. Continue business as usual and have a spring hunt. People are saying, well, what if they shoot a, a female with cubs in the spring? Well, let's take a look. Last year, sorry, this year, the past spring we just had, 2021 spring season, they issued 668 black bear permits. Okay. Of those 668 permits they issued, they had 145 successful bear hunters. So 145 bears get killed in Washington. Let me throw one at you, Seth. How many of those bears? 145. Big number. How many were lactating females, Seth? Take a guess. Well, I can see right here what the answer. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to- okay, let's do this, Seth. <laughs> let's do this. Let's say you hadn't seen that. Yeah. When I was reading that sentence, and my mind was going to be 10. A quarter, maybe yeah, 25. Know. If I had to, like, I would have been like, 10 wouldn't shock me. 
Yeah. Nor would it dissuade me from supporting spring bear season. I probably would have went less than 10 just because it's the same in Montana. You can't, in the spring, you can't kill a sow that has cubs. Yeah. And oftentimes you sit there and watch a bear for a while to make sure it has, it doesn't have cubs. But some people don't do that. And also they, I've watched, I've watched sows feeding out an avalanche slide and I've watched them hide their cubs in the willows on the side of the avalanche slide and go out and feed in the avalanche side for five minutes. Without and I know because I watched her, and I know she's got cubs Yeah, in the willows on the side of the avalanche slide. Right. But you could have so, sat there and been like, watched her for five minutes. Yeah. So it happens. Yeah. But it's like a lot of stuff happens. I mean, bears practice infanticide. Like, boars kill cubs. You don't want to abolish boars. Yep. One, Seth already gave it away. Kind of ruined my... I didn't give it away. I just told you I knew the answer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you didn't say what the answer was? No. Oh, it's one. Yeah. Wow. 668 permits, 145 bears get killed, and in 2021, they killed one. All they determined it was a lactating female. Quite possible. They were, the cubs were already dead. Should have been a lactating female no matter what. Her cubs could have died a month ago. Yeah, that hunter could have sat there and stared at that sow for two hours. Might not have violated. He might not have violated a law. She might not have been accompanied by cubs because a boar might have already eaten her cubs. Yep. So if you watch the YouTube video that came out, they, they got the, you can go watch the whole commissioner meeting. In the meeting, they clarify it's not biology. They clarify it's social pressure. It, we've been alert, like we've been, Corinne had this long exchange with someone. We've been alerted that like, uh, like a commissioner from Washington or, or a fish and game official from Washington saying like, what's going on in Washington is very bad for hunters and anglers where they're appointing commission, they're appointing game commissioners who are antagonistic to hunting. Like a fox guard in the hen house. Not good. Yeah, And, uh... and you know, this is the thing, this is where like, this is where the two-party system sucks because like, I'm sorry, Republicans don't take away your bear season. Nope. They just take away the habitat. Yeah. And this person I spoke to, <laughs> I hate it. Double-edged sword. I hate it. I was talking about the difference between, you know, conservation and concepts of preservation and the commission's, you know, obviously not saying that they're anti-hunting, but that seems to be a little bit of the trend. So you're kind of picking off the low-hanging fruit. So folks who may be bear hunters, there's a smaller population among them, uh, among the general hunting population. And so maybe fewer people would turn out to say a thing about this. And so it's like you're just starting to pick off what's kind of the obvious it's dude, it's the whole slippery slope thing. And the slippery slope, there's a slope and it's slippery. Like I'm a big slippery slope guy. It's a slippery yeah. slope. It's pitched it's at a steep angle and it's covered in snot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just it, it's so distressing, man. It's so distressing. Like, there needs to be a new well, when me and Yanni ran for president. That's what it was. I'm only talking about I'm only talking about single issue voters, of which I'm mostly a single issue voter. I'm a single issue voter where I'm like I'm like interested in what's good for hunting and fishing. So I want habitat protections and and like protect habitat, protect hunting rights, protect firearm rights, um, and 
clean air, clean water, real clean environment. That's all. Is that asking too much? Nope. You wouldn't think so. Apparently. But yeah, apparently it is. If you live in Washington, what you need to do is get this ninth, uh, you need to get this ninth, because you're never going to have, like, the the in Washington, the big urban areas, you're never going to catch up to them. Like, I remember Colorado lost trapping. I remember going to this this little seminar at a National Trappers Association convention. The guy was getting into Colorado demographics. It was funny. The second, like, not the second, the minute D- uh, Denver and Fort Collins had a population greater than Colorado outside of those places at large, bam, lost trapping. So if you live in Washington, you're culturally, you're always going to get whooped because you have those huge population centers that are going to be like, you shouldn't be able to do that to bears. That's mean. I love my dog. You know, (laughs) it's like you're never going to beat them. Well, here's the other thing. Remember, uh, oh, what's the gentleman's name we had on when we talked about trapping? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mr. Matney? Yes, Rick, Mr. Matney. Rick, Rick yeah. Matney, Moses' dad? Mike Matney? Yeah. Mike Matney, yeah. I remember him kind of drawing this analogy around, like, people having that idea, like, oh, you can't do this to the poor bear, the poor beaver. You shouldn't do this to the poor mink. Um, but, for example, with furs... Being a, being a material that is completely renewable, and all the people who are talking about saving the environment are buying fleece made of plastic, polluting the ocean. So it's like the hypocrisy yeah. of and and like the limits of your own kind of self reflection about what you're championing, but actually acting in opposition to that. So yeah, it's just they like renewables, about. but they don't like renewable bears. Yeah, or beavers. Uh, so you're like, what do you do about this? Well, you guys got to get, everybody's got to have a big shit fit. That's for starters. You got to get a ninth commissioner appointed. Who's, who is a supporter of, uh, hunter conservationists. There's a guy, there's a state representative in district eight, Matt. How do you think he pronounces his name? Bonke? Banky. B-O-E-H-N-K-E. State representative. He's he's filing a joint resolution in December, this month. He's filing a joint resolution for an amendment to the state constitution that'll add to the right to hunt and fish. So most states have a right to hunt and fish, but it's not, it doesn't have teeth. It's not clear. Matter of fact, we, I remember one state was doing like the right to hunt and fish. The, one of the recent ones that passed its right to hunt and fish resolution didn't put trapping in the resolution because they wanted to have better messaging. So when you do a state right to hunt and fish, you need to be like, you need to, they need to have, it has to have teeth. It'd be like biologically sustainable populations and spell out like what exactly it means. Because this would be a great case if you had a right to hunt and fish that had teeth to it. This would be a great case for a lawsuit where you're saying we have a sustainable population of black bears that we've historically been allowed to hunt. There's no biological evidence that it's that it's not sustainable, but yet we're losing the right to hunt and fish it. So we're going to file, we're going to sue under our thing as a violation of the state constitution because you're taking away a historic hunting right with no biological basis for it. 
But if you have the right to hunt and fish in the Constitution, would there be like very, very specific and particular details outlining how the right is to be That's practiced? the problem with the state right to hunt Yeah, and you'd have stuff. to because people would be like shooting shit in the summer. You'd be like, well, it's my right. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. Well, I, we did. The, remember, when we, remember years ago, we went to uh, where were we? In Ohio? Where the mm-hmm. hell were we? We, we went, went to, to visit the Sportsman's Alliance guys. Yeah, and talked about these things. And it's like, it's a great gesture, and it sort of measures because those things usually pass with like overwhelming majorities. Yeah, it's a great gesture, but if you if it if it doesn't like clearly articulate certain parameters, it's hard to sue against. But I think that they were. I think that some people used it in this state around wolves. I think. Anyways, you need to have like a robust, well-worded, clearly articulated what it means so that it can then be used to challenge infractions to your rights. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's That's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better. Because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like You still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Hey, man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and then even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized I didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you 
to get hydrated. Doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. All right, Hayden. This is the, the 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 fishing report book report. All right, the uh, so this one's kind of like close to home, and uh, I, I guess like uh, two check Chet. I'm gonna kind of double dip because I use this for the Bent podcast. That's uh, fine. For no fishers. double dipping in content's fine. Double uh, dipping on finances, <laughs> no. of which he is the new co-host. Everybody. Oh yeah, introduce that, Hayden. Oh yeah, so uh, I co-host a podcast with Joe Cermelli. Uh It's the bent fishing podcast and we talk about all things kind of irreverent and fun in uh in fishing and it's informative as it is entertaining and yeah That's great so y'all ought to give it a listen anyhow this is, this is a double dip this is a double dip uh we're going to talk about something that's going on right here in montana and that is a little problem that we have with some lake trout in uh flathead lake uh Flathead Lake, for those that you don't know, is a giant lake. Is it the biggest lake in the state? It's like 200 it's a natural, square miles. It's a natural lake. Big, yeah, it's yeah, the biggest, biggest natural, natural lake. lake. Yeah. I think it's the biggest natural lake in the in the something or another. It's, 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 uh, the, look that up, Phil. You're not doing anything over there. <laughs> oh, damn it. I'll look it up. It's the biggest something. It's a real big lake. Big-ass lake. Yeah. The, uh, so in this big-ass lake uh, straddles an important boundary, and that's the boundary between state land and res land uh specifically the flathead reservation which is home to the uh confederated salish and the salish salish mm. largest I'm, freshwater lake west then. of the mississippi in the lower 48 states told you there you go it's a big one so the confederated salish and the kootenai tribes Salish uh, Kootenai. Kootenai, yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and bend that's right. You, dude, this book report thing is bad. You can go do a third podcast. That's how you know I actually read it. Because I didn't hear it said. Oh, that is good evidence that you didn't just hear about this at the bar. Yeah. 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 So uh, anyway, it straddles this, uh, this line between the res and state land, and that's important. We'll get to that uh, later on. Um, so basically forever, Flathead Lake has been a stronghold for a native species called the bull trout. Now the bull trout is a char and it's this real big, aggressive looking fish. It kind of looks like a lake trout almost. Um, and back in, uh, we got to talk about some dates. So back in 1905, uh, the Montana, uh, you know, fish and wildlife, I guess, of the time decided that they were going to drop a whole bunch of non-native species to, like, diversify, like, the fishing opportunities. Because why not? Because why not? <laughs> One of these was the lake trout. And of those fish that, you know, they dropped in, these are the only ones that kind of, like, took hold. This was not a big... Well, I take exception with that. Yeah. How's the that? lake whitefish. The lake whitefish is not native and is very prolific in that lake. 
but it's not predatory. Mm. Okay, so the lake whitefish and the lake <laughs> trout took hold. <laughs> uh, now, this wasn't a problem until like 1981 when in order to like bolst the kokanee salmon stock, another non-native fish, they decided that they would introduce mice's shrimp in order to like give them something to feed on. Now, the problem with that is like the kokanee salmon didn't really like the mice's shrimp and the mice's shrimp fed primarily on zooplankton, which is what the kokanee do like to eat. They fed on them to the extent that they outcompeted the kokanee, and by 1990, there weren't any more kokanee in there. This is like bad aquarium management. Horrible. <laughs> and the fact that there aren't kokanee in there is not important, except that uh, now there were just a whole bunch of mice's shrimp in here with no predator except for the lake trout. The lake trout, the fry, ate a shit ton of the mice's shrimp. And because of that, their population exploded. The problem with that is mice's shrimp can only sustain a lake trout to such a size, and then the lake trout has to go eat something else. So the lake trout started preying on native fish, particularly the bull trout. It became such a problem that in the mid-'90s, there were only like a thousand uh, bull trout left. So this got identified as a major problem. And I think in like 1999 is when like all the bull trout protections really started. Yeah, they became like down. a threatened species, like ESA protection, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, these tribes recognize this as a problem and the state recognized it as a problem. And they got together and they were like, okay, we need to like solve this somehow. The state pushed really, really hard for um, like an angler-based intervention in this whole situation. And they tried that for a while. Uh, the tribes instilled or installed what uh, they call Mac days. Mackinac is another word for a lake trout. Um, and it was basically like a, a lake trout fishing derby. And in the first like year that they did this, I think the annual take was something like 900 lake trout. Um, recently, you're never going to catch them with rod and reel, man. Well, recently it's come to like, not never going to catch them. You're never going to like get them all. You're never going to dent it with rod. Well, you, right. In order to get all of them, you literally have to like poison the body of water and start over. Yeah. You you know, it's like not possible. So Montana, uh, fish and wildlife kind of, my understanding of is they pushed back on this for a while and they were like, no, we really want this to be angler based. We really want this to be angler based. The tribe saw the writing on the wall and eventually uh, the state and the tribe kind of got together on this and they said, okay, let's do something else. And now what you got going on is they've turned it into kind of a commercial fishery. Uh, they basically do a bunch of trawling and just netting and all sorts of stuff. And they're processing these lake trout and getting them out to restaurants and private buyers and all sorts of stuff. And it's actually made, starting to make a measurable difference in the population. Now, again, we've like talked about how, um, or I guess I've kind of talked at you about how like you can't get all the lake trout out without poisoning them. Um, Their goal is not to do that. Their goal is to get the population down to about 75% or down... 75% to 25% of what it is. And if they can accomplish that through this like commercial fishery they've developed, then they project that the bull trout will, um, 
recover by 90%, which is a way better situation. Hmm. And you'd wind up with another bull trout stronghold. And that is my book report. I'm looking at this note that says uh, in 2012, they estimated that there are 1.5 million lake trout older than one year old. Mm-hmm. I know that, but they still have regulations on them, right? Like Brody was up fishing Lakers. Don't they have like slot limits on them and stuff? I am I feel like not, Colin Brody. I don't know. We ought to call Brody. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm honestly not too sure about that. He was up catching Lakers, was he? Right up there. One second. But it's like you'd have to have a balance, right? You need to like take all the big ones, <laughs> leave the small ones so they eat the mice shrimp so that the mice shrimp don't eat all the zooplankton so that the kokanee have something to feed on. The kokanee have already been like totally extirpated from there. And, and, and being a non-native, I think it's kind of like a beside the point sort of thing. I don't think we're trying to, I don't think like the management of the kokanee fishery is really anything like that they're kind of going for in this. I think this is very much bull trout exclusive. Gotcha. Hello. <laughs> Brody. Hey, what's up? You know when you were up uh, on Flathead Lake fishing Lakers? Yeah. Was there some kind of like uh, size limit or slot limit or some shit like that? Yeah, you're not allowed to keep them between 30 and 36, I think is what it is. Because why? I, dude, I don't know, man. You'd think they'd want the big breeders out of there if they're trying to reduce the population, but I, I don't know. Because huh. you're allowed to keep a, a bunch of them, you know. They're, I don't know what the daily is, but... Or if there even is a daily limit. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Later. Straight from Brody. <laughs> Yo, slot limit. I wish they would explain the why behind some of their regulations. Oh, that. that'd be a great yeah. book. You could get the second book. You get the reg book. Yeah. And then the other book that says why. Because <laughs> I always wonder, like, you look at that kind of stuff and they, they, yeah. they promote this and say this, but then the regulation doesn't makes sense we had a we had a question about the why in a regulation one time and it even said that i can't remember i don't even i don't remember the reg and i don't remember the state <laughs> but they had said that like as a rule they don't no it was in wyoming it was something in wyoming as a rule they don't archive the reasoning <laughs> meaning when there's a proposed regulation change and people testify, like for instance, this bear, like this this bear thing in Washington. Yeah. I don't know if it's true in Washington, but this guy was saying in, in their state, you're gonna have like, do we have a spring bear hunt or not? The outcome is memorialized in the law, but they don't do anything to record to like, well, why? Yeah. I know you know what it was? I remember exactly now. It was why a non-resident, if he's hunting in a wilderness area, has to have a guide. Oh yeah. And you go like, why? It must be to protect the guiding industry. They say it's to protect safety. And we went to a guy like, well, why is it? He goes, we don't record the why. Yeah. So there's an argument and there's a vote. We care about the outcome of the vote and no one writes down what was said about it. Yeah, but that's like we need that to educate the people. (laughs) Yeah. Like I think a lot of times they're embarrassed about it. They're like, "Eh." it's like with my kids, man. They're like, why? (laughs) Like, doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what. <laughs> ah. Those lake trout, they get crazy though. The up in Idaho last year went to priest and it was like the I just I didn't even know how to catch them. I just got told like they were out there. We were just 
um, like on a family trip and I drove out with my, ba- I had my bass boat up there with electronics and I just drove out to a spot and it was like 90 feet and there was nothing and it dropped down into 150 feet and the fish started at 90 and they dropped all the way down to the bottom at 150 feet and there must, there was literally hundreds of thousands of lake trout. Were you catching spot, them? Yeah, every drop. Every, every <laughs> did you ever smoke one yeah, of those? Yeah, we, we, we caught them all, took them back and lit a fire and ate them and everyone loved them, just like picked them off oh, with a fork good. and it was, that's what we caught them. We actually end up, um, cut, you know, filleting and some of them and, and, uh, freezing them and still got them at home. They're Let me pretty... give you a tip on being an American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fill it. <laughs> I'd start with I that. I knew that was going to come. start with that. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the only one. Yeah. First thing is lots. flay, right? Yeah. Second thing is freedom. Two F. Yeah. <laughs> Hot tip. I like the freedom one. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how the meat color changes? On lake yeah. trout, depending on their size, yeah, that's what the mice, the mice shrimp versus like in oh, so, so in Idaho, the mm. small ones, like he was talking about, the small ones eat the mice shrimp. They're super pink, really they're bright, yeah. bright pink. And as they get bigger, they turn white, like because they, they once they start eating they, fish, northern pike minnow, or yeah. up there, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they start eating fish, and their meat turns white from pink. We yeah. talked about that recently, the rebranding of the northern pike minnow. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, all right, so here's what I want you, you guys. I got a couple questions for you about this, about being professional bass fishing. First, each of you like concisely lay out, well, I'm going to give you two things. I want you each to concisely lay out like where you sit in the realm of like where you're at in your career. And then I want one of you to walk through what's the progression of like how you get there. Meaning if you, I don't really know about baseball, but let's just say it'd be like you play t-ball then you play like little league then presumably you play like high school college minors majors whatever the hell do one of those you guys can decide amongst yourself who does the the progression but first i need to know where you're at i'll I'll take the progression (laughs) uh so in our careers first uh, off i gotta find who's pulling my cord and i am gonna kill him yep that's that's definitely under my foot oh (laughs) never mind clear (laughs) We're good now. Never mind. I'd never do that to a guest. <laughs> my bad. Uh, progression in my career. Let's see. Uh, I've been doing it. Gosh, I just finished up my 11th season. So I'm, it seems like yesterday I was one of the rookies and now I'm more like one of the veterans, but I'm not old. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm like, you're like an old timer. Yeah. I'm like an old timer doing it for 11 years, but I'm not old. If yeah. That makes sense just because I started young. So, um, there's probably a lot of people your age that did it for 11 years and haven't had the success and thus aren't doing it anymore, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. And I would, I would say majority of the guys, like your average age is older, Mm. right? You look at extreme sports, like guys are done when they're 25 or 26. Majority of the guys don't start and qualify historically until they're probably mid thirties. Or early forties. What's what's old for a professional bass fisherman? Well, our oldest guy right now is what 74? seventy four. Yeah, Rick Clun, seventy four, and he can still play. He won lot. He won. He's twice won. in the last couple of years. Yeah, like, Damn. but he's he's everyone. like an exception, right? He's yeah. one of the best we've ever had. Like, yeah, seventy four. I, I even know that name. He's been yeah. doing it professionally yeah. longer than we've both been alive. 
when, when I made the, crazy. When I made the Elite Series and I started fishing in 2015, so I started competing, I, the second tournament, third tournament of the year was on Toledo Bend. And like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I made it too early and I'm just grinding, trying to compete with these best guys in the world. And Rick Clun got on stage and he was coming second after day one, giant bag, a huge bass. And he's like, yeah, I caught him off a spot I found in 1984, which was, <laughs> when, I, which was when I was born. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've got some work to do still. <laughs> got some time to make yeah. up. Uh, so I, I guess like I would be... I feel like I'm just coming into my prime is where I feel like. How old are you? Uh, I'm 34. Just turned 34. But so Brandon's also done every single thing about you can possibly do in the fishing industry. Like he's at the peak pinnacle top 1% of bass anglers. Okay. So, so that's, that's what I want to get out. He's like, what, like what, yeah. what are your, like, if you had to do a bio that was really talking your shit up, what would the bio say? Uh, Five-time Elite Series champion. Uh, 2017 Angler of the Year, 2010 National Championship. That one's important. That's, that's how I qualified. About, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for is that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the, like the written accolade stuff. But for me, those are just titles and trophies. You know, like that's not why I do it. No, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm just but, like I, like this is. I'll be frank with you. Yeah. The all the like Seth knows about this. All this. I, I don't know the first thing about it. Yeah. yeah. So that I mean. To win five is like is a big thing. When I won Angler of the Year, let's see. I feel like they B- should call B- it Bass Fisherman of the Year. Let's be frank. BAS. Let's be frank. There's a lot of species, right? Well, it is. It is some sailfish dude is like, but it is called Bass Master Angler of the Year. Oh, okay. There you go. I mean, that's that is what the trophy. Because I don't want the sailfish guys to feel bad. Yeah, we don't want to beat up on the saltwater guys or the walleye guys. Yeah. I don't want to take Seth's so title. So Bassmaster like, Angler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that uh, at that time, uh, I think there had been 46 or 47 of those titles awarded, but only had been won by 21 guys. Oh. So, you know, so several really guys is, had like, it's won. It's not random. It's not random. No, it's not luck. There's too many variables to make it luck when you've done it consistently over and over. Yeah. Right? A guy can get lucky and do it once but to do it over and over that's not luck right no that's like, spe- <laughs> that speaks to something man yeah you know what i mean and it wasn't like that he had like a you know whatever like happened to be on the right end of the lake and you yep. know yeah so i think like but i feel like I, i'm just coming into my prime right like i'm starting to understand everything and in the fishing world there's two sides of it right there's the fishing side and then there's the business side because we're all independent contractors we don't have team contracts like you do in the nfl you know major league baseball all of that we're in we individually have to go seek our business relationships mm-hmm. those don't come to us as you don't like, have an agent no i do it all on my own some guys have agents yeah. but I, like i don't like that disconnect like i want to talk to the person that's making the decision so that also when they have to call and they're like hey we're not going to pay you anymore they have to call me it's, yeah, a lot e- it's a lot harder to oh, call yeah. me and tell me yeah, versus they, like, they hey, might just keep paying uh, we're going to yeah. cut your guy. We've never talked to him, but we're going to cut your guy, you know? Yeah. And so uh, I, I like building that relationship with those people. How many, okay, so how far, like if, if you're, let's say you could, pardon me, I'm trying to think of how to put this. Let's say you could like, like uh, you're like a top 10 or top tier 
bass fishermen. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of them are there? Like, like how many guys are sort of your peers right now? And are, and are, and are you guys peers? Yes. So me and Carl fish on the same circuit, which is the Bassmaster Elite Series. Okay. That is the original. So BASS and Bassmaster, that's the original tournament circuit. Okay. Uh, that's been around for and you guys both so you guys would compete against one another yeah okay and how many of how many of you are there at that caliber 100 and are all those people are all those 100 making their living fishing or are some of them still like doing roofing and stuff majority are not i would not making yeah majority are not making their living fishing they either have and that's why i say a lot of guys probably start historically at an older age because they've either got a business that has been built up where they can take time away from it, where they can go and try to compete or try to qualify to compete, uh, or they've sold a business or something of that realm. Now that that's changing. The average age is dropping drastically, um, with the influx of like college and high school programs. So that like as big as a business as bass fishing seems to be and is, you look, you look at all the hook and bullet sports, mm-hmm. okay? Um, here's one that, like, can compete on, on national television. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't support 100 full-time fishermen? Crazy, huh? Yeah. We have that, con- we have we that conversation all the time. Day. Me and yeah. Carl talk about that. Because, dude, there's the easily 100, <laughs> like, there's I think easily 100. On strike. <laughs> well, they kind of they did, and they kind of tried, and they've tried everything to, to make it happen because that's – it's it from your from other people's perspective. It looks like we're all just absolutely killing it, big trucks, boats. But it's just not the case. Oh, I thought, like yeah, I thought you guys percent. being here with like fox fur coats on <laughs> yeah. and stuff, man. <laughs> big teeth and stuff. Yeah, somebody is making boots. a lot of money off this I, gig. I mean, I, I don't know who is. Um, I mean, that's that's the tricky part, right? Is like each angler is an individual business out for themselves that also operates as a whole driving the machine that gives us the platform to perform and promote our business that they're also running a business, right? Like, so everybody wants to be profitable. The tricky part is, is that we're also competing for all of the same endemic sponsorships. But that's why you guys got to be more like the dudes who play like the more like the MLB players or NFL players. You have the league like the NFL. Yeah. Right. But the league has the deal with the players collectively. Steve's dropping mad education about sports now. <laughs> oh, hey, did, I mean, did we talk about that shirt? Dirt got me. When did we learn about this, Steve? <laughs> I didn't, but dirt, dirt got me a T-shirt of a dude like like slamming a basketball, and it says touchdown. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean. I know I'm stuck in this whole sports analogy thing. When you guys should be bailing me out. But what I'm saying no, is, you're doing a good job. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you've been listening. How do you Pete not? How do you not? Us. Like. So there's the the or, what's the organization that there's two organizations right yeah uh, yes there's really two there's uh, bass yep bass which is the bass angler sportsman society that one's been around the longest and then um, the newest one is major league fishing okay. and so like we're not going to get into that whole debacle but, but they don't like, live without the anglers no so we we have to have each yeah. other. Right, and, and but so then they got so they're creating this situation where I don't mean to, maybe they, they, no, you know, God bless them, probably nicest guys on the planet, but they're creating the situation where their organization relies on these hundred or so individuals, but these hundred or so individuals all have to compete against each other and have no like collective way to uphold the organization. 
I feel like it'd be prime for it'd be prime for you guys to get all like uh, up in their business. <laughs> it's it, this, what you're talking about is probably the number one thing that needs like fixing, talking about in our sport. That's like we need it needs to happen a hundred percent, but it's mm-hmm. just it's a, such a struggle to get the hundred anglers. Like what you're what you're getting is. You're getting 20 guys that are coming in that don't have any money, don't have any support. They're just really good outdoorsmen, sportsmen, fishermen. They've grinded and they've made it. Now they find themselves in the top 100 guys in the world. And now they got big entry fees, traveling all over the country, high expenses. And then you got mid-range guys that have been doing it, got through that early storm, are getting some sponsors and support, but are half making it. And then you've got this top percent that are making really good money, big sponsorships and working with all this stuff. So you got like basically three groups that one guy's going, I don't want any entry fees and make the payouts a little bit lower so I can survive. And you got another group that like jack the entry fees up. I want to compete for way more money. Mm -hmm. Or So you put them all in a room and everyone just has all these different opinions and you're like, can't come up with this where we should be all coming together. Say, let's make it better. If you make it to top hundred guys in the world, you should be getting paid no matter what. And then lift everyone up and everyone make money, but no matter which way they try and do it, we, they just, they, they can't get it. Because the top tier guys are probably in, not in the mood to, to talk about how risk, to help the lowest guys out. Yeah, And, and risk, it would take the top tier fishermen to want to do yeah. something. If, if that top 10, 15 guys with big names, big sponsors got together and said, this is what we're going to do, we could possibly make a change. But that also, they tried that, but they went a different way, which is what happened with Major League Fishing. It didn't work. So now you kind of got two split groups, but that's a different story. But now we're sort of back to fighting again. Okay, how are we going to make it better for everyone right now? And for me, it's lost a little bit because in, even in my story, I want to make it better because the way I looked at it is if I make it to the top hundred guys in the world, I've made it. I'm going to, it's, that's it. I've One made it. Think. I've made One it. Think. Like yeah. I would think. And so I'm like, I just risked it all, sold everything, grinded, didn't see my family for years, moved to America, had to move back. I went broke, did all the rest, made it. And then halfway through my first year, I was in the worst position of my entire life. And then a year later, <laughs> I was broke in debt and, and gone out of the, out of the, out of the elites. And I was like, spat, just chewed up and gone. And I was like, what just happened? And that happens to dozens and dozens of guys every year. And just lucky for me, I just decided not to quit. And I fought back, made it, got back. And then I end up winning and, uh, and my career grew and I come back into it. And now I'm in a better position, but I could have just went away and just been another guy that another got pissed sort off. Of, yeah. Yeah, is, the, yeah. is that, is the bottom tier of guys just like a revolving door? Like sometimes, yeah. I mean, like, cause those guys, they're not getting, they don't have like boat sponsors. They're like buying their own boats, their own entry fees. Yeah. The guys that are first, first coming in, they've got a, they've like, got a, be... they got a mission ahead of them when they, they call Brandon and I a lot and, and certain they're like, I just made it through the nations through the opens. What can I expect? And I'm like, get ready. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. also Guys have made it through college and two years later, they're millionaires, like have won millions of dollars. So it's so hard to put a negative. I'm like, I don't want to talk negative to you because you could come in and just crush it and be the biggest name. But the reality is if you don't, this is what could happen. Yeah. Does a pro always make more? No matter how much you're making in winnings, are you always making more on sponsorships or can the winnings get so good that you're blowing the sponsorships away with just... The purse. Depends on the stage of your career as well. 
right? If you come in early on and you have a blowout season, for sure your winnings are going to outweigh your sponsorships. And the longer you're around, your sponsorship dollars start to grow because it's like you make it, but then you also, but then you have to prove yourself at that level. And I, I think the biggest issue that we have in the fishing community from a business standpoint is identifying what it is to be a professional angler, right? We compete at the top level, but anybody can go buy a jersey and put logos on it, which devalues what we do. And then... Yeah, but at, th- 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 they can do that, but they don't get the fish in the tournament. Exactly. But there's so many other avenues now to create exposure and create oh, awareness make for it look a brand. Like you're doing what we're doing, but and, you're not. Yeah, and there's you. not there's you. not like a set standard of like, this is what a professional angler is. This is what they should make. I've always thought that if we take the top 100 guys in the Elite Series, take the bottom guy and make him, you know, worth $100,000 in sponsorship every year, everybody above that will just make more money. Yeah. Right? I'm because it, everybody's not going to make the same amount of money in sponsorships. We don't want that because that would defeat the purpose of hard work and trying to evolve. And so the biggest thing is, like, make that bottom guy worth a hundred grand in sponsorship, and then everyone's just going to be a percentage of value more valuable above yeah. that guy, depending on how much extra you do on the business side. What's the what's a big uh, like what's a big win in dollars? Like what's a big tournament win? Hundred grand. That's what an elite series event pays. Okay. What's the classic? Three hundred thousand. Three hundred. And it has been yeah. five hundred. And then two days ago, two college kids won a million dollars. Oh yeah, I saw that. Oh, at what? Though? That's cool. At fishing bass fishing at the U.S. Bass Open. Bass U.S. Open. Yeah. yeah. They won two tundras. They're college kids. Two tundras, two boats, and a million dollars. Yeah, wrap your Dude, mind around that one. Blow through that yeah. money. Every time when I sold my first book, I'm like, "Wow, that's enough money lasting my whole life." <laughs> yeah. Or next month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, five hundred grand. For us, we see that what that what's happening there, and you're like, oh, "We've we've made it to the top guys of the sport," and then that's going on there. So it's kind of like, but uh, so it's what awesome tournament way, did they win to win that? So it's a Bass Pro Shops U.S. Open. So that's the top of the top. And this is the first year they've ever had that. They just ran at one random tournament. This is it. You qualify, get in, and then on the last day, this group of anglers is going to fish for a million bucks. So they did one thing to qualify. Yeah, how do you qualify for that? So they have regional events. You guys are interested, yeah. They have regional events, and then if you place in so high in your regional event, then you qualify for this championship, yeah. and then you fish. What was it? Two days? Yeah, three days. We man. can't compete. If, yeah. Like if you've paid an entry fee over, I believe twenty five hundred dollars, you can't compete in that event. Some, oh, some of the, but yeah. they're still handing out that kind of yeah, money. Yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like some we're like, the, uh, oh, we want to get in. There. Some of the the guys I <laughs> yeah. follow, like that fish the NWT National Walleye Tour, qualified for that yep. event. Yeah. Yep. I mean, why wouldn't you? So yeah. they're giving away right. more. <laughs> okay. But not, they, I this mean, isn't in, this yeah, is not unjust. It's just interesting. It just doesn't make these dudes sense, want a right. million bucks fishing in a tournament that you can't fish because you're too pro. Yes. Yeah. But when you win your tournament, it's not a million bucks. Bingo. Yeah. And the guy that finished, the guys that finished seventh, eighth, ninth, all made more than us when we fin- <laughs> finish in that sort of position. 
But Dude, yeah. we have entry fees. That's the one thing. If we could get rid of them, we have 45, 50 grand plus of entry fees per year. So that's the killer right there. If we didn't have that, oh, we would really? be, yeah. yeah. We, Five grand a derby. Yeah. The, the tournament the other day, I think the top 10, I think two of those teams were professional walleye anglers yeah. like wow. Seth was saying yeah John John like, Hoyer he t- they took seventh oh John did and it was I think 15 grand yeah probably made more than he made the entire year walleye fishing yeah all right you know what we never did what's that well see I was, I'm ready to move on to way other stuff but we gotta back <laughs> up we gotta back up because we didn't go through the yeah but maybe it does make sense like I've like I've had people say like well how does a person how do you become a writer yeah, and you'd be like, oh, I never met two of them that did, did it the same way, so I can't really answer the question. It's it's actually super simple because okay. there's to get to the Bassmaster Elite Series, there's only two ways to qualify. That's what I want to hear. So yeah. you've got the Bassmaster Open Series, which is three separate regions with three events per region across the United and States, and you have to do what in those? So then you have to fish uh, that entire series, at least one region, right? So we'll just say you fish the Northern Opens. Three events, you fish those three, place in the top three in points. Each time? Uh, top three in, in cumulative points. Over the, oh, over the course yeah. I got you. So it buffers you from a events. bad day, like you can still make up. Yeah, Problem yeah. is, is that one bad day yeah, there probably pretty much eliminates it. you. So yeah, those those have you got to have three good plus. days. Yeah. Three, you got every, three, three good, good tournaments. So you have events. to have nine good Days, Nine good days over three different bodies of water at three different times a year. And if you whiff one of those days, you're never going to keep up. Yeah, you can't make it up. I see. Nearly impossible. Um, so you got to do that. Yep. So that's how you can qualify through one of those. Um, or the only other option is to win what is now called the Bass Nation. It used to be the Bass Federation, uh, but it's now called the Bass Nation. And that's like your weekend warrior guys. That's what I won in 2010 to qualify for the Elite Series. I think they should change the name back to Bass Federation. I liked it. Because everything's a nation now. Yeah. I like Bass Federation, and yeah. I still say it all the time because that's what I came from. Yeah. But, I mean, that was... So that's the two avenues choice. of approach. Two, yep. And now now there's high school and college programs. So mm-hmm. you go to a high school tournament in Texas, 500-plus boats. Two kids on a team per boats, and then college kids... College kid can qualify for the classic, which is our championship, uh, but they can't qualify for the elites. So in the future, when all these like trained dudes come up, it's going to change the playing field a lot. Yeah, that's why the, the talent average, pool is going to. Well, that's why the average age is dropping, yeah. right? Because there's younger guys days on the water. Yep. Uh, well, I think we've brought it up. I want. Can we ask about the Bassmaster Classic real quick? Oh yeah, I don't care. Is that like you said you're at the peak, but you haven't won that yet? So is that like the the gotcha. shi- shining star that you're? <laughs> that's, that's the only the that's the thing. only thing he hasn't won. <laughs> He's won that's it. it. Everything that's else. It. Yeah. Is that, that's and that is the pinnacle. Is? And I finished second. Woo! You yeah. did. Yeah, I've got top tens. I finished second. Like, did they I pay mean, you for finishing second? Yeah. So good. That was 2013. First place at that time was 500 grand. I got. 45 grand. Holy sh. How's that? That's hell. $455,000 difference. Well, we'd have to know. We'd have to know this. One of you guys could figure this out. What is the relationship of gold to silver in actual value? And we'll see if that makes sense. (laughs) 
Oh, no, I get in what the you're Olympics, yeah. You're if they gave you an ounce of gold, let's say your thing is an ounce in the Olympics, they just gave you fourteen hundred bucks. But an ounce of silver is not shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd actually be worse than what I did. We'll <laughs> find out. Say. It might be better than the Olympics. Silver uh, is currently $24 an ounce, and gold is $1,800 an ounce. Way better than the Olympics. Better. I haven't done the math. Do the math all the way, Phil. Oh, boy. So you (laughs) want to explore the relationship between how much is silver per ounce? $24. So $24 to $1,400, and then what'd you win? Forty-five grand. And what'd the other guy win? $500. Okay. Give me a second. When I was like, I bet you when I was in like eighth grade, I could have done that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's too much. That's too much. (laughs) Got to do some division here, I think. We need to have like a bubble over Phil's head where all like the computations are going through. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, just be like making a long shot. Start adding in all the windages and parametric pressures. I'm shooting from three thousand to six thousand. You know, just start. Yeah, you got to like. He's got to be running that similar kind of business over there. I Let us know when you turn up, Phil. I grew we'll up do. in Kalamazoo, Michigan. You know, nah. you, you, you know Van Dam. Yeah, I was going to say, not far from my dad's house at all. Like, yeah. the, the sporting goods shop where I shopped is his parents' shop. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His brother runs DNR Sports. That's okay, where we get if, uh, our Michigan tags. When, mm-hmm. yep. when his, yeah, to, yeah. Add on M43. Yeah. I, think, I think this math is right. If the ratio were the same, if your $45,000, uh, let's call that the baseline, then his winnings should have been $3.3 million. Of silver versus gold, yeah. So he's so <laughs> what they're doing is more fair, yes, than what than the Olympics silver, does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh. no, that's good. Okay, uh, way to make me here's feel my better. Here's, here's my <laughs> do, you, do you like to know what questions are coming up? Um, no. I'm just gonna, I'm going to ask the next question, but I can tell you what the next question is. But I'll just tell you the next question. When you guys were kids, was it just that you were always better than everybody at fishing? Like from day one. That was that was me. That was <laughs> really like, was, no matter yeah. like what, like you just go down yeah, the water. Like I, you're gonna I catch. was good at all sports, could do everything. But like if we fished, I just like destroyed everyone. They were like, "What is happening?" Like no matter you know? what, yeah, off but, the dock. But yeah, if it, no matter what. But it was because I lived out there. Like I would bring my mates, and they'd been doing whatever all week, and I'd been like fishing three days a week, so I knew exactly what was going yeah. on or whatever. But we, I. But basically between us, most everyone has the same story, but we just spent more time in the water than everyone else. Like I never, I went to school maybe four times a week and fish Friday, Saturday, Sunday, riding my bike, taking mum, take me somewhere, wherever I could go. I just needed to be fishing. But you, you feel that it was like, you're attributing it to time spent out. Yeah. And, uh, do you, do, but like there has to be sort of like a, a, a native talent aspect. Yeah. I think you just. No matter how much time you, yeah, there's definitely a thing we've spoken about it where no matter how much time you spend on the water, some people just have it in your, and it's with hunting and whatever. You're just like, that guy just has it. And he spent a bunch of time in the water. Some people spend a ton of time in the water and can never, never yeah, get there. Like yeah. a lot of they're just Amer- not making the connections Americans ask me all the time, how'd you make it? I'm like, I come from Australia and I'm like, you lived in the country the whole time, fish for bass since you were a kid and have done it with your dads and your grandfathers. That's what I'm competing against is guys that have learned from their dads and their grandfathers. So they're hard to beat because they've got so much, you know, good knowledge. But sometimes if you just don't quite have that, um, aspect, the tournament thing just brings a whole nother thing with money and making fast decision, having a time limit on it and being able to read the water instantly, make fast decisions. That's what makes you kind of a good tournament angler. Um, but most people just had that knack and they had that thing where they couldn't do anything else but fish and 
they just understand what how those bass and fish work just from purely having that bit of talent, but also just ridiculous amount of time in the water. What do you call Mental. a guy like that or a gal? As that like, just is, has is it that? like an adjective that you guys use or throw in hunting, around? In hunting, it's uh, he's a real natural. killer. Natural, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the natural. He's a stone cold natural. killer. <laughs> natural. The outfitter that I worked for would just call guys fishy. He'd be like, you know, that yeah. guy's pretty fishy. Yeah, yeah, but that's a new thing. No, How long ago was that? That, you that was that? I don't know, fifteen oh, years really? ago. Okay. But it's, I, I mean, it it's mental, good. right? Because you take all the guys out there; they have access to all the same technology. Mechanically, guys are pretty even across the board. So then it only leaves one thing, and that's mental, that separates the guys that yeah. do it at the highest level versus the guys that don't make it. But when you're, well, how about you, Brandon? Just I mean, same question to you. When you were little. Was it just that you just caught fish? I feel like I always caught them. Yeah. And, but I, it, it was weird. It's like, I feel like I was just, that's what I was born to do. Like I was, I started out fishing. There's pictures of me where like I've got Cheerios on my little, uh, gosh, I can't even think what it's called. We well, sit a baby in something and they're it's eating it. Yeah, high like chair. It, yeah, high a little chair, high chair. Yeah. There we go. So like the high chair with the little tray and I got Cheerios all over it and I'm holding a fishing rod. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like little bleach blonde toehead. And I'm holding a fishing rod. Like I couldn't even walk at that time. And so it was almost like there was just always something yeah. that made me tick when it came to fishing. And uh, as far as like was I better than kids when I was younger, I didn't really – fish with anyone my age like there wasn't yeah i got you. it it wasn't a thing then like it is now a lot of uh yeah brandon and i story are uh are very similar even on the other side of the country but we always had like an older guy or a father figure that took you and like instead of hanging out with your mates as much of your age you sort of separate a bit from that and were more like inclined to go with the old guy that was going to show you and teach you stuff because you're like you knew he knew more than you and you wanted to learn what he knew yeah and so you're always i was always sitting in the back of someone's truck if they were going fishing is there a seat no nah, climb in there and i'm in there like i wanted to learn what they knew and then just progress from there yeah we grew up uh around our lakes where we lived we definitely grew up fishing with friends but mostly i like fish with old men yeah because my dad yep. was an old man yeah he had me when he was old hung out with old guys yep and these guys i, I like grew up around old guys that were retired yeah. So all they did was yeah. fish. And that was kind of my main sort of exposure to it. Yeah. And was you was people that fished a lot. You, know? you sort of progress, like you progress to from bait fishing off the bank. You meet the older guy that fishes from the bank with bait and you do that. And then that's great. And then you meet another guy that like showed you your first lure and how to cast it or you'd go with him and they would troll and like, so that I, was I never really met that cool. guy. And yeah, that's what <laughs> you're that's, straight bait. That's generally what we still met. going off the bait guys. That, that's how the bass fishing starts is because you get them to eat live bait and everything's cool. And then when a fish follows that, uh, you trick a fish uh-huh. to not eat the live bait you trick them to eat that fat it's something different that's when most kids brains are like it switches and then all you want to do is like look at the different lures colors depths why are they doing that and that's kind of the addiction a lot of us get i think that's what that attraction is to cast and retrieve and lure fishing it's a much more it's a different connection i think uh here's my next question we brandon we talked we covered you on the show before I've heard it. I've heard my name come up. Okay, tell the story. Uh, do you, are you comfortable talking about the story? 
Mississippi River. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we got that I, rule I feel, changed. I'm, I'm well, all listen, about talking about We covered about that it. One. If I remember right, we covered it from a yeah. sympathetic lens. Yeah. Did we cover it sympathetically? You guys did a good job on it. I feel yeah. Like. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sympathetically I'll talk about it. meaning like totally could picture something like that happening. Hundred percent. Yeah. Tell that story. Hundred percent. So this was my third year on tour. I had won one Elite Series event in 2012. 2013 came around, and I was having a super tough year. I was way down in the points, wasn't going to qualify for the Bassmaster Classic, which is our championship. And at that time, they had a rule where it was win and you're in. So if you won an Elite Series event, you got a berth into the Classic. And I was so far down in the points, it was late in the year, my only opportunity to make the championship was to win an event. Like an outright win. Like have to win you know, first, hundred grand, one. second place, doesn't cut it. And I just, I had a week where I had, well, let me take a step back. The year before we fished on the same body of water, I had figured out a pattern. Mother nature brought a bunch of rain, flooded the Mississippi river. That pattern went away. I didn't adjust in time. 2013 rolls around. But, but not, now, now I'm kind of titillated by that. Walk yeah. me through that. A bunch of it floods. <laughs> then what does that mean? So that's the biggest difference, I think, in like what we do and being able to do well consistently mm-hmm. is adapting to Mother Nature, right? So like every other sport goes and plays on some sort of field that's like manicured or, you know, it's like you're in this controlled environment. We're yeah, fi- like bowlers. Yeah, we're fishing. Nothing changes. <laughs> we're fishing in a. We're fishing against another living creature that lives their life based on a different set of rules than what we live ours on. Yeah, right. Like we're very judged by a calendar and a time clock and a twenty-four hour day when they're really just based on sunrise, sunset, and whatever. Mother Nature throws at them. You can't yeah, it's say like a, it's like a football. If the football was alive, it's the go- it's exactly. a golf it's a golf course that the hole changes after you've hit the ball. You hit it. That <laughs> That's yeah. how I explain it. Yeah, and it, and so like that changes right. So you get a bunch of rain. The Mississippi River. It's narrow up on those upper pools. It's not like it is down toward New Orleans, and so a bunch of rain rises that water okay. and I was catching these fish out in the main river, which is where all that current pushes. Well, when you are, so bass are very oftentimes ambush feeders. So they want to set up in a place and ambush the prey as it comes by. Right. So they're opportunistic. So they'll sit in current seams and behind these current breaks and things like that. Well, when you, it's similar to a water hose. So people would think that you actually get more current when you get more influx of water. Yeah. But it's like if you stick your thumb on the hose, you can spray it further, even though there's less amount of water coming through the end of the hose, right? Yeah, it's creating yeah. more pressure. And so at a certain level in the river, those fish have to set up in places. But when it comes up high, it blows over all those wing dams, blows out over those breaks, and then those fish can just roam. They can oh, set up anywhere. That's a good point, man. And so it's a lot harder to, to find that little target. Nugget. And, yeah. yeah, they can just go and roam around. And so the water comes up, they roam around, you lose your target. And, you know, we only have eight hours in a day, so you have to be very efficient. 2013 rolls around. I'm at the bottom of the pack, have to win one. This pattern starts to play out that I had found the year before. 
the weather holds out and day one, my whole game plan was I was going to go catch three or four smallmouth. They were going to be bigger than the largemouth. They were going to be, you know, three to four pounders. And then I this would go. This is the plan. Yep, this is the plan. And then I'm going to go largemouth fishing. But the rule at that time was that in Minnesota. Because you have to have some of each? No. No, just, no, just largemouth are much more common in that part of the Mississippi River. Why not go catch five big smallmouths? Because it was nearly, it was harder. Hard to do. Like it was hard to catch five smallmouth. And so like in practice, it was a very short window. The smallmouth would feed very early. I would catch them early, but I didn't feel like I could catch five. Obviously, if you You wouldn't fill out the bag. Yeah, obviously, if if you catch five, great. So at some point, you got to bail and go fill up. Yeah, but I'm doing the numbers in my head like, okay, if I catch 14, 15 pounds a day, I've got a real legitimate shot to win. I catch three but or I four smallmouth. I still don't small understand mouth. why target the smallmouth at all. Because they're bigger than the largemouth. Oh, I see. You have the opportunity at more four to five pound smallmouth than you do largemouth. You can catch more two pound largemouth, but that's not going to get you paid. Because you're right. never going to hit 15 pounds. Exactly. Gotcha. But so, it's implausible that you're going to go catch five five pound smallmouth. It's possible. It's just not probable. And you might have to at some point haul ass over. Really quickly catch the ones you know you'll catch. Bingo. So my game plan so was this, catch them early. You, Chester, might want to bring me on that wall at tournament just <laughs> yeah. so I can, do, I can do this kind of calculation for you, man. Yeah, It'll just be on the that. back of the boat writing stuff down, <laughs> calculating I for you. I switch to carp, so. like, <laughs> Yeah. You need to troll at 1.3, not 1.2. <laughs> and uh, the unique thing about the Mississippi River was it's a bordering water between Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota law at that time was they took the most restrictive law of whichever state it was. And so they would, so say, I'll just lay it out. So Wisconsin said, you're not allowed to cull once you put a fish in the live well, because we keep all of our fish alive. We weigh them in alive. We release them alive. If it's dead, it doesn't go good. You get penalized for it. Okay, you do. Yeah. Yep. And you're not allowed to cull a dead one. So if one dies, if, oh, if you don't take care of them ass. in your live well, you're stuck with him. You kill a one pounder and you catch a four pounder, you can't you can't yeah, throw out I the one you. pounder. Yeah. And so, what if you eat them? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not allowed. <laughs> not at the tournament. <laughs> and <laughs> so then, so with Wisconsin saying this is where it gets really confusing. I didn't even understand this part of it. Yeah, so Wisconsin... What you're getting into now, I didn't know. Wisconsin said you're not allowed to cull a bass. Once it goes in your live well, you're done. In Wisconsin waters. Yes, and that was a rule that was not intended to impact bass fishermen. It came from snagging salmon in the rivers. And when the salmon would go up to spawn, guys would snag them, and it was a deal to protect that fishery. But it was one of those things where, you know, it was just kind of a blanket statement, Mm -hmm. like you were talking about earlier with, you know, putting it into the constitution of the right to hunt and fish, like you really need to lay it out. And that wasn't. So we had to play by that rules. That would be in Minnesota, you could coal, but because it was bordering waters, they take the Wisconsin law. Mm -hmm. Here's where it gets really confusing. We got permits from the state of Wisconsin to allow our tournament to coal. But because it was a state law, then you couldn't coal in Minnesota. That's what happened? Yes. So, 
See, Jeez. I was I thought I was being sympathetic when I just thought it was that you were like you crossed like a, a sort of hard to oh, yeah. interpret state line. No, I, have, I haven't even got there yet. Oh, okay. Like that okay. part's coming. Yeah. But I had to lay the ground rules so everyone understood like like why Minnesota no, couldn't go yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah. We call this making gravy. That's that's this confusing story enough. To make right? gravy. Yeah. yeah. That's confusing enough in itself. So part of my game plan, one of my best areas is in what I know is Minnesota, right? It's on the Minnesota side of the river. I'm fishing the main river channel. One of my other best areas is in what I think is Wisconsin. The reason I think that is because pretty much every river I've ever been on in the entire lower 48, the main river channel is what dictates a boundary between, you know, a county line or a state line or whatever that may be. That holds true with the Mississippi River for probably 95% of it. There happened to be this one section where it comes out of uh, Pool 7 and it runs down the main river channel for about, say, a mile, mile and a half. And then it cuts across this island, runs down a back channel for another mile and then back out to the main river channel for hundreds of miles because of some like arcane dispute about something who yeah it's 150 like, years ago yeah, or whatever. it's across an island that who knows they lost back in some war between minnesota wisconsin no. i don't know but like it just it goes back goes behind a back channel we lost so many during the war <laughs> the islands that is yeah yeah <laughs> so the what had happened is the second day um so day one i catch him i'm leading Great, right? Right in position where I need to be to make the championship. And you do the whole small mouth, large mouth trick. Yep. I go, I catch four small mouth, bingo, awesome. I go catch another large mouth. I've got 18 and a half pounds. I'm leaving. How, how okay, but how much time, like when did you bail on the small mouth plant? 11 o'clock. And so I went. Had, and you had how, how long to fish? I think that day I had till 2.30, 3 o'clock. So then I went. Why you just catch another big smallmouth? Because they would their feeding window was super early. Oh. So during our it wasn't practice just time, like, I got you. I yeah. figured out that this yeah. was happening. I'm with right? you now. I'm with you. So day two rolls around. Giant storm rolls in. There's only really one thing that will delay our events, and that's a thunderstorm, tornado type activity. Yeah. That's what we end up with day two. Delays it. So in my mind, I'm freaking out. Right, I'm leading the event that I need to make our championship. My bite is in the morning. You're missing your and window. And now I'm missing my window of yeah. opportunity. Yeah. What saved me is that, right? Bass- when they delay, they just like, they postpone the start. Yes. But it'll roll as long. Yeah, no, as long as no, the... it'll be the same finish at the end of the day. So you just so lose, you lose time. time. Oh, you lose, okay, I yeah, got you. Yeah, we still end at the same time. So you're just losing part of your eight hours. You're eight always fishing hours. daylight hours. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm... You know, obviously worried about this. Good news is bass don't live on a time clock, right? They just go on Mother Nature. Cloud cover keeps the light lower, which then helped those smallmouth feed longer throughout the day. So by the time I got to my spot, they're biting good. I start in what I think is Wisconsin. I lose a bunch, shake it off, move to Minnesota. Like coming unbuttoned on you. Yep. Yeah. I moved to Minnesota and I catch four and I'm like, or no, I caught five. I had five in Minnesota. I'm like, well, it doesn't do me any good to f- fish here any longer. I'll go back to Wisconsin, catch one more, 
and I'll have a really good bag because I had caught some big smallmouth. And I go back to Wisconsin, or what I thought was Wisconsin, uh-huh. catch one, cull one more time, and then I go largemouth fishing, and I don't cull the rest of the day. And so I caught six fish that day where I had culled that fish where I thought was Wisconsin was 100 feet south of where that bordering line cuts into the back channel. 100 feet. 100 feet. 100 feet cost me 100 grand. <laughs> and the classic. Yeah. Dude, I, well, that's, uh, that's some math I can do, I, Phil. I ended up winning the next that's one. That's $1,000 oh, okay. per so, foot. <laughs> yeah. You can do that math quick. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Decked is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom aunt grandma whoever and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to okay it's easy to upload and share photos via the aura app and if you're giving an aura as a gift you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of oprah's favorite things aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply get incredible deals on premium cuts from butcher box do you like free protein for a whole year well deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store i at home well i got two freezers but you know what i'm saying i like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff i like feeling prepared man when i come home and it's time to make dinner i like to go in and i got all my proteins lined up in there just makes me feel good about stuff and with butcher box you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer it means fewer trips to the grocery store delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always you get a variety a high quality cuts at an amazing value you'll get exclusive deals as a member too. sign up at butcherbox.com slash meat eater 
and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. And then it got like reported everywhere. Yeah. So what I don't know who or what turned me in, but I got a call that night at about 10 o'clock at night asking if I had fished this area. And I'm like, yeah. I did. And like, did you call here? I'm like, is this after yeah. they already handed you the check? No, this is day two. So four day. Oh, event. I'm sorry. Okay. Yep. So I'm two days in, I've got a six pound lead and not very often is it easy, but that was one of those weeks where just everything seemed yep. like it was lining up. A six up. pound lead is yeah, a good lead. It's huge. Yeah. On that on river, that it's river. huge. Okay. Like you pretty much got it. <laughs> and I felt like all I had to do was just get to my spot, cast and reel them in. Very rarely is it that easy. Uh-huh. But it was just one of those weeks, everything lined up. And they call me and, you know, ask, hey, did you fish here? Yep. Did you coal here? Yep. They're like, you got Google Maps? I'm like, yep. They're like, pull it up. Like, see that red line? Who's they? The organization. So okay. tournament director. We have, have a tournament director. Gotcha. And I'm talking to them. And instantly my heart sinks. Because I know when I look at that line, exactly what it is. And so it, it was really, it was my own fault, right? It was my fault of not looking specifically at where that bordering water was. I took the assumption that the main river channel was the boundary. And if I was on the Wisconsin side of the main river channel, I was legal, but I didn't know or realize there was that cut through. Was their attitude, um, the, they that called you was their attitude, man, I know this is harsh, but if we yeah. don't have rules, the whole world falls apart. Hundred percent. That was and their like, attitude. Yeah. I knew, like, obviously from my standpoint, I was what was I at that time? Like a twenty-five-year-old kid. That's how old you were. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And so I had to. It would have been twenty-five or twenty-six, and so I had to make a decision of how I was going to approach it, right? And at the end of the day, it was my own fault. Like. Yeah. Obviously, I didn't agree with it, right? Because here's here's what bothered me the most. If I would have forgot to cull, right? If I would have forgot to release my smallest one that was alive, put the bigger one in, and came to weigh-ins with six fish, I would have only gotten a two-pound penalty because that's what our penalty is in our rules if you bring six fish to the, live, to the weigh-in. But instead, because I thought I was doing the right thing and throwing one back, yep. I got that day's weight disqualified. All the way. Totally. Just, yeah, that day, which dropped me down to 73rd because I was only had <laughs> one day's weight and didn't Were make the next day. Were you still beating some guys? I did off one day's weight, yeah. <laughs> My one day weight did beat a couple guys two days. And uh, yeah, and so I just jokingly said, oh, I guess I'll just have to go win the next one. And then I actually did. So you you <laughs> thought you had like okay I could do two things here, I could start like breaking stuff, yeah, and having a having a fit, and kind of like do it what feels natural. Yep, and a slight few moments of that. Or I could <laughs> or I could just play the long game and yeah. pursue a career. Yeah, which actually ended up 
being probably one of the best decisions in my career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I learned from it, right? Like I you, bet you, you did. guarantee if we go into bordering waters now, I am staring at every boundary. I can't remember if we talked about this when we were talking about that, but I used to fish a stretch of the Delaware River, which flowed between New York and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And they did a really convenient thing there where they came together and made a reg for the river. Yeah. Like a, like a joint regulation. Yep. A so, lot of places are like that. Yeah. So it's like, you didn't need to kind of like, I don't know, am I like halfway or not halfway or yeah. what? If you catch a fish in the middle of the river, you don't got to like wonder what to do about it, right? Yeah, because they're not going to use their fins or their tail to swim back across the river. Yeah, like if you like, I mean. <laughs> while you're fighting him, he kind of goes over to, you know, Pennsylvania for a minute. Yeah. And then what do you do? The yeah, rule just, makes no sense. Yeah. but And I mean, gladly, I mean, for everyone, it worked out better that it happened to me because the rule ended up getting changed because it got so much publicity around it that it actually is now no longer rule. So do you feel like that was a, you know, like just life career wise, uh, it was a win. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. Life and career wise, it was a win. Huh. Uh, just cause you handled it with honor. Yeah. I could have, I definitely could have oh. just sunk my own ship. Dude, I quickly. could definitely <laughs> see like breaking rods Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, and in, it took a lot to <laughs> not go down that route, but I knew that there was, that was not the right option. Or the other way that's not good is to really talk about, uh, what I've seen people do too, is to really start talking about like how stupid the rule is, how stupid the person is. Yeah. And I know. mean, you have to own your own mistakes, Yeah, right? And when it came down to it and you pull everything away, it was my own mistake. Yeah. And like then later I, you can be like, you know, it was my own mistake. Yeah. However, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> rule. <laughs> yeah. The rule nobody agreed with. Yeah. And, but I mean. You were it, 25 it years again. old. Yeah. Like 25 or 26. Dude, I was, I was totally irrational when I was 25. I was 23 when I qualified. Huh. Yeah. Dang. Huh. How many more derbies did you have left in that season? Two. Two So you're like, left. there's still a chance. Yeah. Yeah, there's there was still a chance, and and you made it made it happen. Yeah, I managed to win the next one, running How? almost a thousand miles in four days. Are you serious? Yeah, in your that's... I ran like yeah, almost almost nine hundred miles in four days. I burned a thousand dollars in fuel in four days in my boat. Jeez, the hell were you going? I ran all the way from <laughs> Waddington, New York, all the way out into Lake Ontario, past the mouth, like twenty miles, into twenty the plus lake. miles. A long ways. I've, How fast so, do you guys run between spots? Uh, like all conditions being good. Like say glass, calm, no wind. Av- you're going to average like around 70 miles an hour. <laughs> Jeez. Because, I mean, time, right? You've got eight hours. The more casts you make, the more opportunities you have. So wasting time while you're running is, you know, costing you more casts. But how, like walk through the calculation in your head, right? Like like what's too much, right? Uh, it depends on... It's a 250 on... horsepower limit, so there's only a certain speed you can get with that. But some guys can run like 80 miles an hour, and the difference between 70 and 80 is massive. Like nine. But day, I mean, it's like... a huge gamble. If you say, I'm going to blow, you have eight hours. Yep. It's so you're like, I'm going to... The fishing's so oh, good that timing, it warrants... Yeah. I'm going to lose two hours of fishing time. Yeah. You just like, you got... So when you're motoring, you're probably like in your head like, you idiot. You idiot. Yeah. yeah. Turn around. It comes down to your practice. I, in that event, I had two phenomenal days of practice out in the lake and figured I could catch 20 pounds plus in 45 minutes. 
And so if I had at least 45 <laughs> minutes out of an eight-hour day, I would make the run if the weather permitted. And out of 32 hours, I fished for 10. So you get real granular about pounds per whatever. Yeah. And I, I mean, I did, I bought this St. Lawrence Seaway book that I don't know how many hundreds of pages it is, but I scrolled through that, finding every gas stop, every route that I could run, <laughs> calculating minutes because I knew that every minute was going to count in that event. And I figured out like which gas docks you had to pay cash, which gas dock you could pay with a card because it was going to be quicker if I could pay with a card. And I mean, all of that just like calculations by minutes. Because one cast can change your whole life in this sport. Like <laughs> yeah. and it has done. Like you can see. Yeah. You hear about uh, the walleye guys doing that. Um, they'll run like 120 miles. For sure. Stop and get gas fish for an hour get like some you know a couple big bites run back and win just yep, because yeah. they ran all the way there caught a, a couple 30 inches or whatever it's professional gambling pretty much <laughs> man i just see i i have like visions of the dude uh like who just goes out on the end of a dock and yeah Catches a bunch of fatties, but he's just not going to do that every day. Slightly different. <laughs> do people bet on you? Is there also like fantasy? They started it. Yeah, oh, it's actually, there, actually so, pretty big. So we fantasy signed fish, a deal um, with Fox Sports. So we were live on Fox Sports. Yeah. And they started like messing around with some of the betting, like Fox Sports betting. And I don't, I don't think they've gotten it to the point where they're betting on specific anglers. What are they betting? Um, we have fantasy fishing where you like creative fishing team of your guys but they're betting on like the weight and like of a single fish or like mm. the biggest bag or winning weight things like that we haven't got to the like betting on an individual yeah, yet yeah but, you want to be in like pete rose man like start like what, doing all what kinds about of a calcutta is that legal and does that happen we don't have it in our events i mean but can, do you guys just do it on a sly like little back room side, bed. Yeah. side, side beds no yeah. I, uh, I mean, you'll have like you have like twenty, you have like twenty dollar beds. Yeah, I did. I went to a shark tournament one time as a. I went there as a reporter. I went to yeah. a shark tournament, and the, the the tournament had its money, but it was nowhere near the money. Yeah, the Calcutta. The Calcutta was. Those yeah. guys. No, everyone, no one time. gave a shit about the actual tournament. Yeah. They were there for the side yeah. bed. Those guys operate at a different level. Like the of blue money. water, like yeah. blue water. Their guys. boats yeah. and the dollar. They're putting our entry fees in fuel into their boat. <laughs> They have that's, a, and that's probably underestimating yeah. it. Too. Yeah, you're, right. for the is, for yeah. the perch derby up at Canyon Ferry mm -hmm. that we're doing this, we're doing that in when is it? January. January. Yep. Yeah, there's a Calcutta for that. There is. Yep. Is that ice? Ice. ice yeah. Ice ice it's weird that you wouldn't have invited me along. Well, we're gonna try. We're gonna try. What's fun about something that you know? We're gonna get a. <laughs> we're gonna try to get a bunch of teams to go up and do it this year oh a bunch of teams hadn't mentioned it to me huh? well you're gonna be yeah you heard about this hayden can nope oh good <laughs> chet and i just talked about it the other night can Cal i i've got a Carl. question i've got a question yeah. for these guys what you got are you pretty drunk I now can't, chester i can't even see you <laughs> i can't chester's even so see. drunk you can't see we can, we can see you yeah um so it's like five days before seth and i head out on on this walleye tournament next summer yeah what is the biggest advice that you could give to us, you know, just for for tournament fishing? Even though it's a walleye tournament, it's still, yep. you know, ours. We're chasing fish. We're looking for fish. Well, we're Chester, fishing. let me tell you. I probably still <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh. Get a big bucket of leeches. <laughs> You'll probably, probably win. Yeah, you'd be Slip really Slip bobber. You can do that in walleye tournaments. Yep. The uh, open mind is the big one and not listening to the doc talk, right? Not listening to what all the other Ooh, guys are saying. Doc uh, talk. Yeah. Like, oh, this is what you should be doing. Um, I love that. You know, the way I explain really? it to people is... You try to ignore doc talk. 100%. Because here's the thing. Nobody knows what's happening that week. If, say, when's your tournament? January what? Well, well this, this is... Or, well, the walleye the, tournaments, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, Give me a May. Date. May it's the first one. May. Okay, so we say May 2022. Uh-huh. The thing that I can guarantee is that nobody in this world has ever fished for walleye May 2022. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody knows... <laughs> What is going to happen on that body of water, whatever your date is in May of 2022. So you have to fish the conditions. You have to have an open mind and not listen to that doc talk of like, oh, this is what you have to do on this body of water. Because once again, they don't live by a calendar and a time clock. We had a guy, uh, we had a guy that does this very, very hard, uh, bighorn sheep hunt. Yeah. Um, and he was saying a similar thing. He says, you can't hunt last year's. Like in this yeah. area, you can't hunt last year's sheep. Yep. 100%. If you find a ram somewhere, don't. He's like, that's the one place I won't go look. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like we were talking, Seth, like with the bison migration. Yeah. Right. Like you have this set time frame that you can hunt. If the weather permits, they move out and they migrate. And if yep, they don't, then you don't have the opportunity. Yeah. No. The, just being able to get to elk hunt the last couple of years um, with Brandon and up here, it's like, Elk hunting is identical to fishing. Once I figured out with the mapping and stuff, I was like, this is like fishing. And so that's why some anglers are good, like looking at the maps, the contours, where they would sit, try, you're trying to figure out a pattern. And that's what we're doing. We're like, what are the fish doing? What's the bait doing? Because it's all about food and temperature. And, and that's what the elk are doing. Like whether it's too much snow, not enough, whether they can stay there, enough food, what concentrates them, like the currents. Mm. And so looking at the... Um, contours, you're like, there's a good bench and that's what bass like, that would be a good spot. And then you would come in on it, this angle, it's identical. It's like fun. Cause it's, it's almost like you can figure it out the same both ways. Very similar. But what if the doc talk winds up being reflecting your own thinking? Are that's, then, do then you change course because that's what everybody's going to do and you better figure out something different. You don't, you just try and block it out. That's the biggest thing. So do you thing block out other boats? Yeah. You try to as much you as do. you can. Yeah. We have a good example of some dock talk from this fall. We, we, uh, in se- early September, we went out to Fort Peck for do some walleye fishing and, uh, Chet called the guy at the marina and was like, Hey, what's the, what's the walleye report? And the guy's like, walleye fishing's done for the year. <laughs> it's just done. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> they all died. They yeah. went to, They'll be back next year. They went to Florida. Yeah, it's like, well, that's kind of weird. Done for the year. All well, right. guess guess we ain't fishing after all, Chester. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we get out there and we we we're watching all the big walleye boats like make big runs to the west. Yeah. And the the one day we made it, we weren't catching them. The one day we we're like, screw it, we'll just we didn't want to r- run real far because you know like it gets expensive. Yeah. We're not you know tournament anglers and making money and shit so it's like we're we're you know paying for our gas and stuff and one day we're like screw it so we just ran like 13 miles and caught like a couple dinkers but the big bass or the big walleye boats are still like blowing past us going way further well the last day of the trip we um found an oil leak on chet's motor Mm -hmm. so we're like oh shit we can't like 
make a big run because we don't want to blow the motor up. We didn't really know what was going on. Um, so we end up fishing in the bay where the marina is and found the 30 inches and we're like catching giant yeah. fish like yeah within eyesight of where we put in where the guy said the walleye fishing's done for the year mm -hmm. yep. and everyone else is running away from them yep there was no one else fishing there because <laughs> they were fishing last year the, yep. the one of the toughest things for guys is guides and locals on lakes that our tournaments come to they they either can blow it away but re it's usually pretty tough on them because if you're a guide, you just know too much. They have too many spots, too much knowledge, and then they try and compact it into an eight hour and it goes, oh. you know, when it when it doesn't work out, they're like, oh, I can catch them here, here, and next minute they're running around they're like crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then and then you're and then you can fish too much and you've fished those holes, you've been a guide, and then, you know, the guy that just shows up to a lake, never been there before, just finds this way different pattern than that guy that has lived there his whole life. It's like, damn, I never even knew that was there. That's got to be so illuminating. It's for a recreational dude who fishes a lake to be able to, a tournament comes to the lake. Yeah. And be able to see what do people do who are looking at this, who are like sort of trained from a more national perspective. Yeah. Like, what do people do that are looking at this without all the sort of, like, fishing my certain spots and here's what I know works because this is what my daddy did? Yeah. That'd be interesting to that's, see. That's what they say to us all the time, every place that we go to. Like, we get the big crowds and all the people and they all say, we, we oh, you're coming to our lake. I can't wait to see what you guys do and figure out. That's why they're watching you know, the, and the biggest change of what Brandon was saying before is live. That's been one of the biggest changes in our whole sport is we have, it's live now. Every, every bit of footage from when Blastoff starts to the end is live either on the website or on Fox Sports. And so in the past, they had to film it, edit all the footage and make this little 30 minute show and put it on one of the channels. And now it's eight hours streamed live. You see every cast mm. of all the top five to 10 anglers and like, it's addicting. Like even for me, as soon as you're cut from the tournament, the next morning you're watching what that oh, guy, really? yeah, you're like, like what oh I miss? my God, I miss. Yeah. And so all the locals and then people from all over the world can watch it now and they're watching techniques, but the locals love seeing like, that was my spot he found or, you know, yeah, or yeah. seeing how different we approach the lake, especially when we come to a new body of water that they haven't seen us fish before. And that well, doesn't turn into an issue when someone can watch mm -hmm. you and go, oh, it, I see oh, you know where he's at. Yeah, so I'll just go and just watch him a, from my boat 20 big, feet yeah, away. It's a big problem. That's, <laughs> what I, that's the other thing I don't get. Like when you were yeah. talking about the, the term you did where you got your little rhythm down. Yeah. Okay. I can't even remember what one, but you were just mentioning you sort of had a plan and it was work and you're going to keep doing it. Now, why isn't the guys that had like a shitty first day why don't they go and just be like, I'm just going to go exactly where he goes and, and, and just mirror what he's doing. It happens. They do. You can yeah, do that. There's not, there's a, nothing to protect you from there's that. There's an unwritten it's, rule. It's <laughs> changing it. now. So in the past you could go back, say you had a bad day, you would go and you would look, get on the website. You'd look at who was leading and you could read like the article of the pattern and you could see a couple fishing clips. And now we can't get, as soon as the schedule's out, we, so our schedule comes out, nine tournaments. You can't talk to a single other human except for who's in that tournament about any of those locations. And then, so only you can fish it. You can't fish with anyone on it. You can't talk to anyone about oh, it. I, I, oh, I don't understand. There's, there's no more scouts. Yeah, no more. You can only thing, scout right? yourself. Like, it's only uh, what you can do. How are they do. policing that? 
lie detector test, truth detector yeah. oh, test. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and the then, event. And then during You're shitting me. They put you yeah. on a polygraph. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then during the tournament, really? you can't look at the website. You can't look at social media, like because it's very easy. Like you could just. In the past, they would look, oh, he's frog fishing in that mat. I'm going to do, I'll try that tomorrow if you had a bad day. Where now, when you don't catch him, you're like, what? I've got to figure something so out. You guys tomorrow. are like jurors in like a high profile yeah. trial, man. Like to try to like and limit you your, guys. So then but, at the end of the day, you can't talk to each other. Me and well, Carl can. can. If, yeah. As long as it's someone in the event. Oh, yeah. in the event. In the yeah. event, you can. Yeah. But, but like you can't call a guide or local shop or, you know, you can't go fishing with yeah, someone yeah, else. Yeah. Who administers well, the, who administers the polygraph? The organization. They hire a guy that yeah, like says, does it. But you come into a room. Yep. Dude's and he's there, got like straps, really specific questions. Fully straps you up. Yeah. And it's, you know. That's every derby. Yeah. yeah. Give, give me an example. Ran- just random. Like, like random give me an example of a question or two oh, they would okay. ask you. Just like, did you receive information on this tournament outside of off limits? Or did yeah. you fish, compete, did you fish with an angler on this body of water in off limits? Just a few. <laughs> pretty, pretty simple. But what what they're trying to do is like. And I like it. I want to level the playing field. Like yeah. in the past, like when I, in 2015, I fished a lake like where Rick Clunn had fished his whole life or whatever, but I, I was on there. I never had a waypoint. Just, I'm just putting my boat on the water and it's how many thousand, hundreds of thousands, 200 200,000 acre 200, lake. And some anglers have 5,000 waypoints, have talked to ev- like the best guides, the guy that wins every local weekend tournament. Like they've just, they don't even need to practice. And here I am two and a half days on this lake. Like I got to try and figure out how to catch a bass. That frustrated me because we kept going back to the same bodies of water where I'm like, I can never get that amount of knowledge that that guy has in, even if I live for the next 10 years on this lake, I wouldn't get his amount of knowledge. So now they've cut it all down to where trying to fi- diversify the fi- the um, schedule, which is good, new lakes that they haven't heard about. And then, um, and then limiting all of that knowledge. So it's up to you. It's up to you. How, if you want to go and put time on that lake and figure it out and then, what I want it to be is just two and a half days put on it. Whoever can figure that lake out in two and a half days, then the tournament starts. And to me, that's the number one angler that can do that. Not who can get as much information and waypoints and spots from someone else. That's how it sort of, sh- and that's the way God, it's that's going. fascinating, man. I got two things. I got two questions and these both, like, I got two things I want to do that involve you guys' time. Okay. Thing one, I want to make a video. This will be a lot of fun. We go to my mom's lake where I grew up, 66-acre lake. She still lives there. I was born there. We go bass fish that lake. Yes or no? I'm all in. <laughs> do we? Okay. We're going to make a video. Here's my question. Do, We're going to make a show about it. Is do we? Are we allowed to do it out of our boats, like with our technology, or do we have to do it out of like DOS boat? No, no, no. No, 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 no I don't want any of that garbage. I want to go there. I want to go there in like... I want to see, I want to be like, catch a bunch of fish out of this lake. We yeah. will find I'll tell you out what's in there. I go, the end of my mouth die. And I get a night crawler. Yeah. No, what works well. We go and, here's, what, here's how we start. You get a piece of plywood and you get a little rock and then a brick. Okay. And you put the rock down. Then you put the piece of plywood on the rock in about four inches of water. Okay. So it's on an angle. Yep. And then you put a brick on it so it doesn't float away. And the next day, you lift the plywood up and catch a horn nose chub. Mm. You take that horn nose chub <laughs> <laughs> and hook them through the lips and throw them out by my ma's raft on a bobber. Deadly. You slay. 
<laughs> so I'll show you how I would go about it, and then we'll. Um, <laughs> And awesome. then you, yeah, then I want to see you guys take all that fancy shit and catch a bunch of bass. Okay, that'd be cool, dude. We would have a riot. Yeah, you'd be addicted to like live technology. Yeah. The next we, thing, the next thing I want to do is this. Next time we do a lot, we haven't done live shows in a long time. Not yeah. live bait. There's live bait. And there's live shows. We we stopped doing live shows at COVID. Yeah. I haven't even told Yanni about this, but I'm flirting with a live show <laughs> very close by. An in-state live show. Okay. At a theater. I want to have where we come and do a thing where I want to have people out in the audience yep. have a big galvanized tub. Yep. Okay. And start in whatever row and someone holds the galvanized tub and you got to land it and, and it'll make a loud noise. Bang! Okay. Yep. And we'll put a microphone up against the tub. I like it. And then they're going to pass it back a row. Bang! Okay. And see how far Who gets up the to theater. do the casting? These guys. Oh, okay. We'll have these guys just <laughs> How for that. far up the rows? Pretty yeah. soon we're in row 30. Yeah. Spang! Or you hit some guy I like in the head. <laughs> I like you. Dude, that'd be a riot. You're going to have to get a lot of waivers signed for that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was already, I've been laying in bed at night thinking about this. I think we find something that casts good, but it's soft. Yeah. yeah. Soft rubber sort of bowl or something. But it's going to I mean, have, it's gonna have, to have it's a gonna lot have of salt in it, so it's heavy. We'll figure it out. It's a litigious, uh, what's the word? It's a litigious world out there. Meaning people are fixing to sue everybody. Yeah. Litigious. Oh, litigious? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Grant. It's that kind of world. <laughs> <laughs> we want to have So you guys got to keep your calendars open because I want to do these, my, fish my mom's lake. What's the best time of year? Opening night. <laughs> start at midnight. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It's one of those ones that has seasons. <laughs> we start at midnight opening night. Sometime in May, right? Can I tell you, can I tell you a story that, that I believe is true? I believe this is true. My old man, he always tells this story. Yep. There's a one, this story has one lie in it. Uh, 19, my mom and dad bought the house I was born in. It was like 71 or seven, 1971 or 1972. I know they bought it for $35,000. Did she actually have you at home or you're just saying that you were born at the nearby hospital? Uh, no, I was born at the hospital. Okay. My dad was born at home, not that home. My dad always told everybody that he was birth weight was 13 pounds. <laughs> but my mom pointed out that he was weighed on like a kitchen scale. So no one knows what he weighed because they're never accurate. But no, I was born at the hospital. Brought home upon my birth to this. A lot of my stuff is still in my bedroom. Now, uh, here's a story. It's like a, it's an apocryphal story because no one knows if it actually happened or not. Uh, my old man says he came out to look at the house, considering buying the house. As he tells it, like he looks at it, the realtor leaves, and he's going to hang around a minute. Mm-hmm. He claims that the neighbor had a rowboat out by the water's edge. My old man claims that he got in that rowboat and rowed over in front of the what we call the orange brick house. And... Caught a yeah, write that down. I'm gonna write this it's down. Still for, it's still there. It's still orange. Okay, orange brick house. It stop. claims he caught yeah. a five pound largemouth, which would be the biggest largemouth to ever come out of that lake in the history of mankind. Beat five pound largemouth, <laughs> and he claims that that was why he bought the house. Did he have fishing yeah. tackle in yes, the car? He did. With I believe. Yes, I believe every part of it except I. I think he weighed the bass. <laughs> 
on the same scale that he was weighed on, he was weighed on. <laughs> <laughs> which starts at like three pounds. So we need to figure out like what that ratio was that it was off. <laughs> yeah, like we're like it's probably a three pound bass. He was probably a nine pound baby. <laughs> Is it good bass fishing? Like bunch of two, three pounders? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's good. They're fun. I mean, good like go. that. Yeah. Grass, rock. Yeah. What kind of visibility are we talking? <laughs> oh, water clarity. Dude, I mean, I'm... imagine a soup bowl. Ooh. Okay. So it, the, it works like this. You have reeds along the shoreline, except for where people who are like anti-nature uh, poison all the weeds, and yeah. then they go buy sand and dump the sand mm. on the beach. So it's like pea soup. So you have that, that, or you have the natural shoreline would be like woody debris and reeds. Okay. Then you have sand with a very thin layer of like organic matter laying on it, yep. muck, and that goes out to... You, Four or five feet of water. Then you have seaweed. We used to have milfoil, but they got the milfoil under control, and now it's the native weed, and I can't remember the name of it. Hydrilla, probably. That yeah. runs out over the drop-off. The drop-off is where it goes from like six feet, pretty steep pitch, down to 12, 13 feet. And then it then the drop-off goes gradual, and the and it's anywhere in the middle from 13 to 14 feet to you get over to uh over by Buckskin Bend. Where you might like get about eighteen, where you might get now? about eighteen feet of water. <laughs> okay. What's the clarity like? Is it clear? You can see it pretty good. At when I uh, see, I'm going to reveal uh, some law breaking. When I was ten, <laughs> I took possession of a Hawaiian uh, of a three prong, and early season was very good for the three prong. Yeah. For bluegills, I was I was a little kid. Yeah. And then later in the summer, you you really couldn't see good enough to three prong. Yeah. Okay. Well, you stir, there's a lot of algae yeah, and it gets yeah, stirred up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's natural lakes so, and, and all that debris. And you generally like you generally do bet. You see guys like you guys show up and you guys are all flicking off the docks, which yep. is cool. Um, but the the locals who really know how to pound it, they're working the edge of the weed bed. Yeah. Depends on the time of year. But guys like you show up who watch too much bass TV, <laughs> they're flicking docks. <laughs> Right, 16, it's not a big lake. Right. You could swim across the lake, like, and not it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's not like, oh my god, Bob swam the lake. They'd be like, oh, yeah. Bob swam across the lake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I squeeze in some fill-in questions? Because I think we're, like we're running out oh, of time. I'm done, here. dude. Yeah, you're done. You wanted, that dude. was it. I got I got out of this what I wanted. The bat. The Chester, you got any? <laughs> Seth. Oh, I was just gonna say. Um, Brandon and Carl, if you guys have any fishing etiquette stuff that's like, <laughs> ooh, I need to share that, send it to me or Seth. Oh, or- Chester, why don't we just make a, uh, can we make a note that we need a thing called Chetiquette at the com, <laughs> and then people can just send Chetiquette in? <laughs> sure. And, uh, we got to talk to Tressa and Byron. So Chetiquette well, ima- at the com. I'd imagine you guys may have some. Some like stuff that you can you, just email like, Chester. And and yeah, you don't need to email Chetiquette. We can just straight to straight Chester. Chester. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till he sobers up. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me real quick. I know one of you guys just mentioned a second ago how many tournaments are in a year, how many you have to be in, and just kind of how that little deal works in, in a tight little package. Hit him with it. They like your accent way better. The, uh, the, um, we try and fish as much as we can. It's like anything. You get better the more you fish, the more you compete. You just keep sort of getting on a roll. But we have nine Elite Series events. 
Um, so they're the hundred percent ones we're in. And, uh, and then they, there's nine open events and we tend to jump in some of them. So how they fit in and usually we'll do at least three to six of those. And then there's like the U S open and there's the Bassmaster classic. And then sometimes there's been the AOY championship. So what, what, when you fish seven in a row, you're looking like at like 12 to 15, yeah, generally 15 in, between, in a year. Febu- a year. between February mm. and September. It's crammed in. And you put it roughly a week into each tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Three days of practice, four days of of the event, if if you you do well. So you're fishing a lot. Yeah. You're just going, going, going. You're driving from Florida. Then the next event's in Tennessee. Next event's in New York. Another one, New York, Michigan, back down to Texas. We're, and we've gone out to California before. So you're almost a professional truck driver by the end of the year. You're putting sometimes 40, 50,000 miles on. You can do up to that. Yeah, and you know how I'm done asking questions? Mm-mm. Well, I said I was done asking questions. Can you ask them? Um, <laughs> <laughs> are they able to get that bass boat over to my mom's house in Michigan? Yeah. I'll answer for them. They'll figure out a way. <laughs> yeah. We'll get it. Um, can you guys quickly just break down a four-day tournament for our listeners? Like day yeah. one – how many people, because there's like cuts and... Yep, for sure. Great question. Uh, so we start with 100, uh, roughly 100. And because each year it'll fluctuate a little. But 100 guys and full field first two days. And it's accumulative weight. Mm-hmm. So five fish per day, all live. Day two, you know, five fish. That total weight of those 10 fish... Then those top 50 guys or half the field moves on to day three. Oh, and some guys get sent packing. Yep. Oh, yeah. No yep. money. So it pays zero. Pretty much essentially pays half the field. Top so 50. you could have paid five grand and then you get nothing back if you didn't perform. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what you invested. Oh, that's when you're talking about. Plus, that's when you go home and start watching TV. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Watch what's yeah, going you on. The cut, you yeah. miss the cut. Next two days, you're watching yeah. what you missed and yeah. trying to learn. Yeah. So oh, say true. top 50, day three. Five more fish, three day total. Top ten guys move on to day four, mm. and then top four on Sunday. So it'll be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that water has gone from a hundred dudes flailing away at it to four dudes flailing away at it. Ten, ten. Oh, ten, ten is ten. the lowest. Yep. Yeah. God, I'm like, the guy that comes like, very like bad hosting today, man. <laughs> <laughs> and how what? does how does the point system work? Because there's isn't there like you get. So, so many points. Yeah, 100 for first, and then it just goes down one point from there. 199, 98, 97. And then those points go towards Angler of the Year. Exactly. So each tournament, you accumulate those points, you know, similar to like NASCAR mm-hmm. points race or something like that. So Angler of the Year is just points-based. Yep, over the course of those nine regular season events. Got it. So and it's not something like, I don't People's know. Choice. Or like, you know, uh, like yeah. the Heisman, there's like some level of like, when you get all that, there's some level of subjectivity, right? For a lot yeah. Of that kind no, of it's, stuff. An, it's an earned, like you know. competitive earned. Like the worst thing. guy on the planet could win it. Not the, the worst, worst fisherman, like the worst individual. The worst there. human being. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. A, yeah. yeah. Like a horrible human being yeah. could theoretically so, be angler of the person year. Person you won't drink a beer with, but he's really good at catching bass. Could be angler yeah. of the year. Uh, yeah. Among the Potential. anglers, it's like angler of the year is like, is definitely the most hard fought earned title that like guys, and that's what Brandon won in 2017. And so that you're basically the number one bass angler in the world at that stage, and that gets you everything. But the Bassmaster Classic is the sort of the pinnacle of the sport as far as it's from a spectator from a spectator 
point and where the stadiums are full, the crowd, that's where sort of the dream and the thing comes from kids seeing that because the guys are driving in in their trucks and boats, that the crowds are just massive. And like this year alone- and what are uh, they doing? So there, they're there, watching the way big, in. Yeah, watching oh, the way in. So, okay. but there's a big trade show before it. So this year, a hundred and almost a hundred and fifty thousand people walk through the doors um, over three days, and so it was. That's that's a lot of people. It's like big Damn, tackle show, yeah. hundred fifty thousand people, and then the stands are like packed, and they they're watching the the guys come in, weigh in their fish, and then you know the winner at the end's winning three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. But you know that it's. It's pretty cool looking from back, you know, that's, that's what gave me the dream of seeing America and seeing how you can, beca- you can basically make a living out of bass fishing over here. There's no other. <laughs> that's what everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. You know, my brother-in-law's, uh, from, I think he's from Queensland too. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, when they, when you guys go to school over there, they must teach you when they spell out, uh, America, it ends in C-A-R. Uh, America. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, with an R on the end. Yeah, when you guys say it, yeah. you say it the same way. Yeah, there's a there's a few things that we do. I forget what it is, but there's a rule why we do that. Like if there's a vowel past something, my wife's name's Kayla, but if I say it in a sentence, I say Kayla, and then if I say it another way, I say Kayla. And so it's but someone fi- her dad actually figured out why we put R's at the end. There's a certain way we'll do oh, that's it. That's interesting because yeah, my sister's name is Mata. And when he Joel says it, it's Mara. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, man, it's Mara. There's just, there's no R on the end. Yeah. You're you're married. You got kids? No, we got one on the way. Are you married? Yep. Nice. How long have you been married? Since June. <laughs> yeah. We got married good. in June. It's great. We're together uh, nearly ten years, so nothing really changed. Huh. Yeah. All right, I got sidetracked. There's 500 fish day one, approximately. You right? got sidetracked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the everybody wants to know how, how what's the release process like because they got caught from two hundred miles away. Well, okay, that's oh, an exaggeration. Sometimes. So yeah. what's but, crazy? Is, yeah, do you bring them back home? Well, there's a bunch <laughs> of studies on that. Uh, a lot of the fish will travel back. Yeah. I have no idea how they do it, but they will travel hundred all miles. the way back. Especially you know, like, small. Like mount. think of like a elk migration route, mm. right? Like. They yeah, travel, but it's not as migration route. You haul them over there in a boat. <laughs> I know, but somehow they figure out how to go yeah, yeah, back. Got a homing instinct. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, some of those mountain goats get trapped and transferred. Mm. Yeah, they, and then they, they like walk make it hundreds back to of right. miles. But, but the areas do get yeah. stocked, like where the tournaments get run from are really good fishing areas for lots of people, especially yeah. when tournaments get run year after year after year. There's a lot of fish getting put in that oh, area. Yeah, you got, 100, you got so, one day there's oh, 500 yeah, bass. Yeah, it's getting so, loaded. Like, so I'll, like, I'll so break down the process. process. I'll okay. break it down. Like, yeah. So we have live wells that are fully oxygenated, cooled, everything like in our boats. So you put the fish in, keep them alive. We have additives and everything that like you know will kill different bacterias and viruses that they have and keep them healthy. Then we bring them to the weigh-in. They go from our boat into these big tanks that are then temperature cooled and oxygenized. And we wait backstage with our fish in those, go to the stage, weigh them in, and then they go to a live release boat. So they have a giant pontoon boat that's built that they haul to every tournament that has these giant tanks that are big giant live wells that then they put all the bass in. They launch the boat and then they go and disperse the fish out into the lake or the river. He eventually gets back. People are like, 
Where you been? Where you been? What, where you been, Jimmy? I have been on a trip. <laughs> He's like, there must have been 14,000 people in the stadium. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Cheering I'm me. famous. <laughs> I saw the, uh, after the classic this year, was 98.4% survival. Yeah. Yeah. And that was. Oh, they, that's and, great. And so, norm, yeah, a lot of times we have 100%. That was yeah. huh. 98.4% in Texas in June. Yeah. When it's. You know, uh, hundreds of degrees well, outside. Well, that's them going back into the water, and who knows what happens to them the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's still not yeah. that bad. If you did that with trout, it wouldn't be like that. No way. Now, bass you like, barely get them to the live well. That's why they're cool because they're hardy. They're like they're built for like that kind of they can they can built handle it. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> they kind of are, which is weird. Like the way they can be held, the way they can handle the stress and all of that. But it's um, you know, I always try and think of like the I've always wanted to ask you like what you think about tournament fishing, like catch and release, like even just catch and release. Because, oh, I, I got zero. Yeah, like there's, just, there's what I'm, there's what I like. Yeah. There's like what I personally like to do. Yeah. And there's what other people do. Yeah. And that's one of those areas where I could care less what other people do. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Could not care less what other people do. Yeah. Um, when it comes to like letting fish go, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Just for me personally. Yeah. I like eating fish. Yeah. But what about like, do you ever, is there a species or anything that you like to target to catch? And then it's like prestigious type fish that you would let go or, let me give you, yeah, for instance. or catch one enough to eat and then continue to fish and catch them and let the rest go. Or would you be done and leave? We have a small property where we camp. Okay. So yeah. we just, re- we recently got it and it's just like a very small little parcel, but we, my family, we just, we t- it's easy for us to take our kids there for the weekend camping. Yep. It happens to be in a, like, it's native cutthroat trout stream. No retention of cutthroat trout. Yeah. Uh, my kid. But is you're a, not legally not allowed yeah, to. Yeah, like no. they're protected. Really? In that stream, you're not, you can't kill cuts. My kid, like, he don't let anything go. Yeah. Huh, weird. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he developed, like. <laughs> Where did he get that from? <laughs> he really, no, over the course of the summer, it was fun. We, we like, would catch fish, yeah. and we had a thing where they caught the same fish that lives behind yeah. a beaver pond. Yeah. So much that I had to say, no more catching that fish this summer. <laughs> I mean, it was a very distinct, they caught that fish all the time. Yeah. If they weren't catching it, they'd be over there feeding at grasshoppers. Yeah. Like throwing it in, it flows yeah. down to eat it. And I eventually said, stop catching that fish. Like, go catch a different fish. Um, it, was, it was kind of like, it was fun to watch. Like, they very quickly got used to it, and they loved to go catch the fish. Yeah. And like pinched barbs, dry flies only, you know. Yep. Um, no, and I, like I would wake up very excited to go like explore around, catching cuts, let them go. Definitely yep. doesn't bother me. Yeah. But um, when we sit down to eat dinner at night. Yeah. Uh I like to eat stuff we caught. Yeah. I'm not going to go catch things, let them go, and then go buy some shit someone else caught. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like goofy to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, and I know a lot of guys that won't kill a fish, but when I, uh, I've been to a restaurant with them, and the sons of bitches order fish. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what, what, like, yeah. Why's that fish got to die? Yeah. But yeah, not your so, fish. Yeah. What's so, spe- yeah. like, what's so unspecial about that fish? Yeah. Yeah. No, so that, I mean, but like, but I, like, if the whole world stopped ca- catching and keeping fish, and they didn't like change my rules around. I would view it as a positive because I'd have yeah. more fish to catch. Yeah, yeah, neat. yeah. No condemnation. No, it's, it's it's just we're lucky to live, I guess, in a country or a couple countries where you can catch fish and then just let them go. Yeah, freedom to let them go. <laughs> yeah, just like just you don't need it. to eat them. I I got a real quick question. Um, there's a kid 
in this like 14,000 person arena watching you like hold up these bass and they see like all the trucks and all the boats and all the money and they go, well, shoot, that's what I want to do. I I want to, I want to be that guy. Yep. If you were to give that kid some very realistic advice about, uh, how you might think that he might go about it and explain to him in no uncertain terms, the reality of what might happen should he pursue that. What would you tell that kid? Your entire life and the direction it goes is made up of small decisions that you make daily, right? Every single day we have to make decisions. What time are you going to wake up? What you're going to order, make for breakfast? Like your entire life is made up of decisions. Those decisions that you make will determine how successful you are and where you go. So if there's a little kid and he decides that that's what you want to do, those decisions that you make from that point moving forward will be the difference maker in whether or not you achieve that dream Um, because it will never be handed to you. And so you have to be willing to sacrifice going out on a Friday night with your buddies because you have a tournament on Saturday. You know, those are those little things add up over time, right? Like not giving into that peer pressure of things Mm -hmm. of keeping that focus on that goal, no matter how long-term it is, but you achieve those by the small daily decisions and habits that you do. Yeah. Be like, I am going to be a, uh, I'm going to work for the CIA yeah. and tonight I'm going to drink and drive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nope. Not today. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's, that's what you have to do. Um, Would in, you be like encouraging of pursuing like that kind of lifestyle? So the way I explain it, um, since we have all these high school kids. Because not bad at catching a couple bass every now and then. I could be that kid. Hayden's actually. I could be that kid. I have a full beard, but I could be that kid. Say a kid with a full beard. The way I explain it is that you have to physically and mentally not be able to live without it. Yeah. Because it is a losing battle. So even... Kevin Van Dam, Kalamazoo, Michigan, yeah. the winningest angler ever to fish, has lost more than he's ever won hmm. in events. And so if you just love to do something and you get kicked in the teeth that much, you'll learn not to love it. And so you physically and mentally have to not be able to live without it to go at it at that level, right? There's a difference between doing it recreationally fishing local tournaments, and doing it at the highest level. Yeah, you have to literally can't live without it. Otherwise, the brick walls and setbacks will just be too much. You'll just, you'll once it gets too hard, you'll stop and turn around. So that's been that's been the only reason all of us, you know, us two are sitting here is we just went through the storm a little bit further than what the rest were willing to do kind of thing. But yeah. it's a balance. It's a little yeah. bit like a mm. fighter's kid though, like, you know, a fighter like fights and then, he kind of doesn't want his kid to do it because he knows yeah. what it took to get through that. So, but yeah. I kind of, that, that's where the most difficult thing is, is like, you want to tell the realities, like what you said of what potentially could happen, but you don't want to deter a kid and like, but also most of us got told that would be nothing. You know, I got told that I was going to be a stop go man if I kept fishing and by teachers and people around you and like hundreds and hundreds of people your whole life. And that was my fuel. So Kind of, you know, if they didn't tell me that and they kept telling me, I can just go fish and maybe I would have just 
sort of got a bit soft on it, but because they were so hard on it, I was like, if I fail, they win. So I've right. got to go through this. Yeah. You got to be at like the intersection of like passion yeah. and compulsion. It'd be hard to like, I don't know how to tell a kid like not to pursue it. You want to tell them like, this is, it's the greatest sport in the world. I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's given us so many opportunities. We're sitting here, we're traveling the country. We're fishing, fishing my Mars Lake. Fishing, trying to fish these lakes, all these bass. And just, it's the most unbelievable thing, but it's also the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And the most upsetting and gut-wrenching and sacrifice, not seeing family and like that hmm. disappointment of like, you know, I went, I went, you know, eight years here of not even coming close to anything, like just crawled up in a ball, like crying, like you're going to lose everything. Like that's how bad it gets. And I've just gotten through that and out the other side of it in 2019, I won my first elite series event. My whole life turned around. It was just like, man, I was about to give up. Had a like, good time that night. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, was, it was good. Yeah. So the, that, the, and that's the one piece of career advice I've worked up is remarkably similar to Brandon's career advice where, and I didn't follow my own career advice, but, um, I would see people when I was in, in school studying to be a writer, I would see people that had a plan B. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. You know? And the plan B that. was like inevitably and like invariably the plan B was like seductive because it was so easy. Yeah. Yeah. And really talented people, man. But they'd come out of the program and it's like that temp that B was so freaking tempting and they would just do the B. Yep. I got a funny Because you'd be like, ah, I could like spend years not making any money and like living in my brother's basement or I yep. could just go to work for my family's car dealership, you know? And it wanted, it was just too seductive. Yeah. My mom wanted me to go to college because she said, I, you know, you should probably have a plan B. And I, and I looked at it and I said, why do I need a plan B if I don't plan on failing at plan A? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and I mean, but that, like I had that mentality sure. from eight, but that's what you have to have. And it, it doesn't have to be fishing. It can be anything. Yeah, no, I think you it's know, just, I, yeah, generally. I think our whole country would be in a better place if more people pursued what they were passionate about and didn't just go work a job to get a paycheck. Yeah. Because you're never going to be happy that way. I had, until I was 22, I was like going to be a professional fur trapper. Failing that, I would be a writer. And then I switched to like A plan, writer, no B plan. And then like morphed them together. Did both of them? <laughs> yeah, so like no, plan so, C was like, I'll win at both. Another thing that helps is um you mentioned your mom thought you should go to college, but yeah. I always had the luxury where even when I didn't have when I didn't make any money um for years, I had the luxury where I was like very celebrated in my family by my mom and dad. Thought it was just phenomenal. Yeah. There was never any of that like you should get a real da, da, da. Yep. They thought it was cool as shit. No, my, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, my parents are super supportive. I was like, I wanted you to be a lawyer. Yeah. I never had to deal with any of that. Yeah. The only reason I'm able to do what I do is because my mom taught me super on, like super early on to chase what whatever mm. you're passionate about. Yeah. Right? Like it was, it was never like you need to have a real job. She just, I think, understood, and I don't fault her for it, but like being a parent and saying – you live in North Idaho and you want to be a professional bass fisherman. <laughs> like she understood the realities. I was living in fantasy land. Like, I didn't understand that, so I don't fault her for it at all. Like, do you see an IHOP around yeah. here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. I got a good Classic. way to get out of here. 
Okay, Yanni's okay gonna last bring, but Yanni's not least. Bring her home. Last, bring her home, last but not least. Bring her home. With all of this on the line, are you guys clinch or improved clinch, guys? Yeah, it, clinch or in, improved clinch or Neither. what? <laughs> I know I, the answer is neither. There's no way you guys I fucking fish those two knots. I tie a as polymer. Tires, yeah, I tie a polymer like 90% of the time on everything except for one technique punching. San Diego jam. That's the knot. <laughs> is that right? F, yeah. I got to look that one up. San Diego jam knot. I think that's the strongest knot that you can Confusing. tie. San Diego, San Diego jam? Yeah. That's what I'm tying. That sounds like a weed man. strain. Polymer yeah. Yeah. Got oh, yeah, dude. You can picture just getting ripped on that, too, right? <laughs> Chester, what do you think about that? San Diego jam. Um, I think that's great. What's your go-to? What's your go-to? What's your go-to? What's your go-to I tie, I tie um, just an improved clinch. But I was just fly fishing, and that's just kind of what I did. But I'm a uni man myself. What's it? You guys like the uni knot? I used to tie it's a, uni it's to like uni. It's the original, to, yeah. yeah. You know, braid not. to floral. But there's what do you do for braid now. to floral now? I tie a crazy Alberto because I've only got ten fingers and <laughs> ten toes. Carl ties uh, FG knot. Hold it's, on, tell me the knot for uni to braid for braid to uni that you like. The, or, sorry, braid to floral. Braid to yeah, floral. I tie a crazy Alberto. There's a bunch of like easy ones, but like it's the hardest not to tie because braid cuts into your leader, fluorocarbon. Any other way that you do it, when you put braid across a fluorocarbon, it's going to weaken the fluorocarbon and break no matter which way you do it. And so years ago, the reason it was my, a lot of my success is because of that knot, because the knot I tie is FG knot, it doesn't break. In years past, when the you FG. tie uni, uni to uni, it broke all the time on a hook set, especially when bite, yeah. set the hook, it go bang and break, that's the weak spot. FG knot is 100%, so it's like the only knot braid leader that's actually 100%. But comes yeah, from wait, salt water. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, you know the Slim Beauty? Yeah, Slim Beauty was always a good one that I used to no. tie until the FG, but like that, no. the FG's a it's plat. It. it like plats the braid and the fluorocarbon together and there's no knot in it. So the fluorocarbon's dead straight and the braid's plaited over the top of it and then grips into it. The FG. Mm. Yeah. Goes through the guides real yeah, nice Yeah, and then too. it's, it's thin, it? so yeah. like you can have like a 20-foot leader and cast it and it'll just go through your guides really? like Ooh. nothing. I'm learning that Ooh. thing. Nice. That's nice. Nice. Yeah. It's sweet. Two Once you get a hang that on. might be the best reason right there. <laughs> it's the deal. If we got to get, it's a not a great launch on my mom's lake. If it comes down <laughs> to like, if it comes down to it, and we got to get your boat on a couple slings and drive it down and drop it in with a piece of heavy equipment, you don't care, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm willing to do a lot. We'll get of, in the yeah. water if it if it's a normal like if there's any kind of hard, depth, we can depth we can put it in with our trucks. Like we can put it into some rough spots. Okay. It just depends how muddy it is, like if we'll get bogged. But then you use the heavy equipment to pull it Here's out. my last oh, question. Yeah. Me and Yanni are going, uh, we're, we're going to become, we're going to try to become world slam uh, turkey yeah. holders. Yeah. Well, that's not true because I've got a long ways to go after I get that bird. Oh, you do? Yeah. I, I thought you were there. I, no, I haven't killed a Goulds or oh, a Oh, I was going to say, do you think me and Yanni should get matching world slam turkey holder <laughs> tattoos? But we'll ask you that next time 100%. you're on. Yeah. Dude, I'm doing it, man. I told my wife she don't like it one bit. But <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. This is Thank great, you. man. I can't wait till we go fishing awesome. yeah. and then do our thing with the buckets. Yeah, yeah, be awesome. Me we on. appreciate Beanie. How do we find you guys online? Oh, yeah. Um, just social handles is Carl Jockamson, um, Instagram, Facebook, website, YouTube, same name. Man, you make it easy. <laughs> uh, my website and my YouTube are BMP Fishing. And then uh, all my social handles are Brandon Polinick. 
That's P-A-L-A-N-I-U-K. Palanik. Yeah. It's really confusing. Yeah, Dude, this de- is a definitely great check them out on YouTube. Not a great episode. Great for me. Yeah. It's g- good stuff yeah. on YouTube. What's that not again? FG not. <laughs> FG. You're not going to like it when you see how to tie it, but once you get the hang of it, you'll just... Oh, yeah, it. but I like tying goofy knots. Yeah, you'll like it. I like man. it just for its own sake. You it's need all, all your toes you, and your fingers. It's the way you hold it. you got to have like the braid tight, and then you got to plait it. But once you get know how to... Just watch it on YouTube a couple times. And you'll the be FG. Yeah. I'm going to learn that now. Seth, I'm going to beat you in that wall. I turn <laughs> All right, buddy. Let's do it. All right, guys. Thanks, man. This is great. You guys should come back on again. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. I'm going to go eat some cheese curds. <laughs> <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs>